up, you guys? And welcome back to another episode of Reluminati, the podcast where we drink beer and talk about conspiracy theories. My name is John. And this is Jake. And as always, we are going to start with some beer. So, Jake, what are you drinking? I am diving into a Southern Range Neapolitan Stout. Uh, picked this over up at uh, one of our favorite places, Pharmacy. And it's uh, it's a little weird. It's uh, it's supposed to be, according to the label and the picture, you know, Neapolitan. Yeah. Where you have the uh, the strawberry, the vanilla, the chocolate. Yep. And uh, you know that would be a complex taste, no matter how you gun it. But right, all I, three mixed together, it's like the ice cream in the bottom of the bowl. Sure. Yeah. And uh, you know, it could be a little much. Comes out just you know brown. Yeah, you know, but pretty uh, much just brown, just brown. And, uh, you know, I'm a huge stout fan. Like I love stouts. Yeah, uh, big on stouts and the subtleties that you can achieve. And this one tastes kind of like pennies. It's um, it's a little thin. It's soda E and yeah. I, I'm not a big fan of the soda E thinness of stouts. I'm a very big fan of thick stouts. It's more on like the porter side, but without the denseness of flavor that porters usually have. 100% like this should have been more like Porter and they should have put some more strawberry in it or something. Yeah. Yeah. Like um, I took like a little tiny sip of it and I yeah. think as soon as I took the sip, I just put it down. And I was like, this tastes like pennies. It's like <laughs> right. there's pennies in my mouth Yeah, and that's all I can taste. And yeah, that was basically it. Yeah. So, um, you know, I like Southern range. They're, they're a great, they're a great brewery. Um, you know, they are down in, they're they're not too far from here. Southern Range is keep riding the North Carolina beer train. Yeah, I uh, I'm I'm blanking where they're from right now, but yeah. Anyways, so Southern Range pretty good overall. I've had some of their good stuff. They make some good kind of basic serviceable beers. Yeah, this one definitely seems like it's one of those like kind of out there experimental ones, and it just didn't really pay off. Yeah, and they still send it to everybody anyways, you know? Yeah. Because there's bills to pay. I get it. I, who knows? Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess when they were developing this beer, somebody had to have taken a sip of that and been like, mmm, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what the uh, ice cream goo at the bottom of the bowl tastes like right. when the Neapolitan all melts together. And I don't know. If they were going for very separate chocolate, vanilla, strawberry flavors, or even like the, you know, melted ice cream at the bottom of the bowl flavor. It could have been different way, way where they did not hit it at all. They could have, they could have just done like a chocolate strawberry taste and written it off. Well, so I'm looking at the can from across the table and it does say that it's a milk stout. Yes. And milk stouts have a bunch of really weird flavors to them. Yeah, for sure. hundred percent. They get real weird. Um, yeah. So it could have gotten weirder. It could have gotten more strawberry or, or, yeah. I but, mean, it basically could have had more of literally any flavor aside from <laughs> from Petty's. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, part of it could be like something about the way that they cleaned the cans or the way that they canned it or the it lining in it. Yeah. it. Like it tastes because sometimes you get that sort of Penny's flavor when the can that they can it in just like doesn't taste good. Right. You know what I mean? When it just falls apart. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it could be that, you know, could be a bad batch. Who knows? knows? It's I don't I don't think they succeeded in what they were setting out to do. Yeah. Um. But you know I like I'm a fan of the of the brand. You know I'm a fan yeah. of Southern Range. I mean you know breweries have shit happen sometimes. Yeah. And, as we know. Yeah. As we know. Yeah. Um. And I'll eventually tell a story about a 
time I had <laughs> with that. And it Which just is still recently, developing. It's still developing because well, it once again just got compli- more complicated. We'll again. know the full tale soon. It's still I going. I know. By the time I talk about it, hopefully we'll have the full story. So The funny part is this is episode six. Yeah, we've so, been talking about it for like three episodes. At, at least. I feel like we've known about it since episode one. Like, we, you know, yeah. we're th- theoretically, we're six weeks into this endeavor and like we've known about it this entire time. It seems like it's taking a long time, but the way does, that we yeah. record these, it's not nearly as long in actual time. But yeah, um, yeah. space time is a complicated thing. It is. Yeah. yeah. So what are you drinking over there? All right. So what I am drinking over here is um, I've never had this beer before, but this earlier in my younger life days with my wife, this was definitively my favorite brewery. Really? Yeah. Like which brewery is it? It's burial. Oh, burial. Yeah, of course. And um, so this beer is a burial and Alvarado street brewery collaboration. I've heard of Barrow. Very familiar. Yeah. I've never heard of Alvarado. I have not either. Um, I've had a number of burial collaborations in the past and they've always been, just like completely on fire. Um, they did, there's another brewery in Black Mountain, North Carolina called Pisgah Brewing Company. Yes. And Pisgah did a, um, did a collaboration with Burial. This was a bunch of years ago. And it was called Cemetery Gates. And it okay. was a 22 ounce bottle only limited Bomber. release. And it was just like on fire. It was this so was a good. stout, I'm assuming, of I some sort. I don't remember. Okay. I honestly don't even remember what the beer was. I just remember, just like, remember it being amazing. I got a draft of it. Or uh no. They didn't even have it on draft. I had to buy it in the bottle. Okay. And they were like, It's really good. You should try it, whatever. So I had to buy a twenty two ounce bottle of it. That's all they had. No draft, no nothing. Twenty seven dollars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. I, I wanna say it was like a 14 or $18, 22 ounce or something like that. I mean, collabs Roughly, in 22 right. ounce yeah. bottles or yeah. whatever. They're always a weird price. Um, but I got it and it was dope. And I got like two more to bring home or something like that. Um, and I think this was, this had to have been five years ago because I want to say it was pretty close to about the same time that I got, or if it was, if it was about the same time I got engaged, it was six years ago. Okay. And you're out in Asheville during all this time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I want to say this was the same weekend I got engaged okay. was when I tried this one because I tried another really bomb beer that same weekend and and that inspired you to get engaged. <laughs> no, <laughs> oh, I actually okay. discovered this Quincy. beer after oh, we got okay. engaged. Gotcha. And that's, that's a cool beer story too. So um, I'm going to run off on a little tangent and then we'll come sure. back to this beer from Burial real quick. Um, there's another really good brewery that I enjoy that's up in Asheville and they're called Asheville Pizza and Brewing Company. Yeah. They have two locations in Asheville, yeah, one in I've North Asheville there and several one in times. downtown. Yeah. And um, my wife and I love the downtown one. Yeah. Uh, but I love that downtown area because that little area where Asheville Pizza and Brewing Company is downtown, just sort of college, just south of College Street. Uh, there's it's a cool like, spot. yeah, there's like 10 breweries there in are. like a three block area. Mm hmm. And it's um, it's like Asheville Pizza and Brewing Company. There's uh, Green Man down there. High Wire is down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Burial Brewery is down there. Funkatorium is down there. There's a good ice cream shop in the middle of all that too that I'm blanking on. I had no idea. Yeah. All oh, well, I know is all the breweries that it are was there, there six months ago. Yeah. yeah. That's where um, Eno is. The oh, Eagle yeah, Nest yeah, Outfitters yeah. where they manufacture the Eno hammocks and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. All this stuff is on the same area. Gotcha. Um, 
But um, yeah, Asheville Bee and Pizza and Brewing Company has a little, it's like a restaurant and their brewery is down there. And uh, we always go to that one. But uh, basically what happened is about six years ago, uh, around this time, um, my wife and I are up in Asheville for this weekend trip or whatever. And unbeknownst to her, I was about to propose to her, which I did. Cool. Uh, we stay in these little log cabins. So north of Asheville, there's a little town called Weaverville. And just south of Weaverville, there's Very these familiar. little log cabins um, called the Log Cabin Motor Court Motor Court Inn. And um, what's fun about these little log cabins is, A, they're extremely inexpensive. Cool. And if you're people like us where you take your dog everywhere, they're extremely inexpensive for taking your dog Very with cool. you on road trips, which we always take my dog with us. He goes hiking with us. He does everything with He's us. He's a special boy. He is a very special boy. And so the Log Cabin Motor Court Inn is on the National Historic Registry. And so, you know, nothing will ever happen to these log cabins. They're legit. Like, They've been there this. since like the 50s, right? Before that. Before that, okay. Yeah, but each cabin has like a historic registry plaque on it and stuff like that. And if you go into their main office, there's this really cool plaque in there where it talks all about how uh, the log cabin motor court was featured in the movie Thunder Road in the 50s. Yeah, yeah. So that's like really... I I believe I stayed there when I was a teenager, which would have been a thousand years ago. So (laughs) yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But they're cool because you can stay the whole weekend for under $200 with a dog. Yeah, which is great. Which for is us. rare. In yeah, area. which is great for us because when we were younger, we were really poor, and now we're not so poor, but we still, still stay there. Yeah, we still have <laughs> my dog. Um, he's like a million years old, <laughs> but he still goes with us, and we still yeah. stay at the same place. Cool. Not because we want to save money, but because it's nostalgic and we love it. Yeah. Um, but from this place, if you head north out of Asheville, past this place, like you're going towards Weaverville, there's some really cool stuff in Weaverville. There's a pizza place there. Blue Mountain Brewery is there. Um, yeah, there's I know some the local bakeries cool. and stuff there. Um, but just a couple of miles north of the log cabins and south of Weaverville, there's an entrance onto the Blue Ridge Parkway. And so, you know, we came, we went and got breakfast and we came out there and we drove around the parkway for like 80 miles or something like that. Cool. Uh, we stopped at an overlook. You know, we were just staying there admiring oh. the Blue Ridges because my plan was to go up to, uh, there's a, fire tower up in that same area that you can hike to and you can go up in the fire tower and you can see like infinite distance yeah along the Blue Ridge mountains it's really cool uh my plan was to go up there but unfortunately my plan got you know uh goofed by the fact that it snowed and so they had uh, entire sections of the Blue Ridge Parkway shut down yep. so we got to a section where it shut down because it snowed and we which is very around. common very common and so we had to turn around and come back and we stopped at another overlook i proposed she cried oh. and punched me um <laughs> <laughs> and then from the shame it didn't work out yeah uh no she said no and punched me no she said yes and punched me um but i can see uh, that happening yeah um but from there uh we came back down and when you're coming down out of weaverville back in Asheville, there's another Asheville peanuts and brewing company north of Asheville. yeah so we stopped in that location to have lunch or something. It was like mid afternoon by the time we go back. And I told them that, uh, we had just gotten engaged and I, um, for some reason they had this like brand new experimental brown ale on their menu. And when I go places that I've never been and I try their beer, I always end up asking for 19 samples because I want to try everything. (laughs) And then I pick the one that I like the best. And so this as one should. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, so, you know, and I've been places where they don't let you try have samples. They're just like, don't Do go you, back. Yeah. 
yeah. Like there's a spot outside of um, Shenandoah National Park in Virginia and there's a little brewery there in that area and they do not do samples and I got Lame. real mad. Lame. Like I don't know why, but I was just like, fuck this place. Let's leave. But a- anyway, so I tried was this. Everything. Was this during COVID? No. Oh, well, F them then. Yeah. And so, yeah, so I tried all the different beers and I settled on this brown ale. At the time, it was an experimental brown ale, so they hadn't like given it an official name. Sure. Um, so at the time, it was called the Bronson Brown and it was a graham cracker brown ale and it was fucking awesome. It was on fire. Nice. And I told them, I was like, hey, like this beer is lit. Like, can I get some to take home? And they were like, no, it's like new. Like we're not really giving it. Not even stuff. a growler. Yeah. And I was like, oh man, that sucks. Like I just got engaged. This beer is so good. It, you know, whatever. And um, the manager of all of ABV ended up coming out and they, he oh, was cool. like, hey, like my server told you, told me that you guys got engaged. Like I know we're not selling this beer, but Here's a growler of it. Oh, cool. And they like they like attached a tag to it. Oh. And it was like, congratulations on getting engaged. Here's Brown oh. to Brown with the date and everything. That's and awesome. I still have that growler with the tag on it. Oh, cool. Yeah, like we kept it. Nice. Um, and so every time I go back up there, I always want to stop and get pizza at this place because their pizza's dope. If you ever go through their pizza, I've had their pizza. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, they did end up finalizing it and it's called something else now, but okay. they don't always have it. And I can't underground brown. Yeah, when I went, they didn't have any brown on the... Yeah, on the, so now they no have brown. it. It's only semi-seasonal. It's called Underground Brown. It's Graham Cracker Brown Ale, and it's amazing. It was last year, the dead of winter when I was there, and it was all like stouts and kolsches, basically. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to say it's like in October, November at the very latest. It's like, yeah. a, it's like a mid-autumn brown ale that they okay. have sometimes. Yeah. Cool. Um, but so, sorry, got off on a tirade about no, Asheville no, Brews. I really love cool. Asheville Brews. They're my favorite ones in the state. But um, so in that same area of downtown where the other Asheville I wish I could live in Asheville. Is. I know, me too. I would love to live there. It's just too expensive. Is it expensive now? Extremely expensive. Is it really? like? Yeah. And see, when I went there, the reason I felt like I couldn't live there is because it's getting to be too much like Portland. Like there's too much like... It's gone over the kooky and now it's too weird. And it's, yeah, there's it's a lot of heroin addicts there and like weird uh, and like yeah. sketchiness. So the only people who really live there are the like uh, mountainies yeah. type people, the like kind of poor hippies who sort of work the yeah. general jobs. You know what I mean? Uh, there's some local types, but they typically live like somewhere else like they're going to live in weaverville yeah. or they're going to live in mills river or they're going to yeah. live in Bur- uh and then there's like the, elites, or something like, like the elite Asheville people. and that, the yeah and then the ash luminati yeah, yeah yeah the super old money Asheville's, right. the rich people they're like sort of like hippies that. but they've been there since like the 60s right but if you're like a normal person with a normal job and you want to move up there like you have to be prepared because a there's no jobs right um the biggest thing up there is aboriginal yeah which is a hospital system that's up there um and then there's like breweries and shit so it's basically like you can either be uh a hippie who has like nine shitty jobs right or you can be a brewery or cidery owner right or you can own a farm or you can work at the hospital or you can be independently rich but otherwise like if i was to move up there like the only way we would be able to move up there is because I can do my job from anywhere. Right. And my, yeah, one of my coworkers lives there. He moved, he moved recently moved from Wilmington to Asheville 
Um, and he, yeah, he lives there and loves it. Yeah. Like um, I would but, love but to live. We there. work a hundred percent remote. So it makes sense. Right. Yeah. So I could move there. Uh, but my wife doesn't. So. And my wife, we could move there, but you know, that County doesn't pay well for teachers. So she would take a pay cut. Yeah. And, um, what County is Asheville? I don't remember right now. I'd have to look it up. Bunville or Dunville or something. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Um, bunk, it's, it's not Buncombe. Bon- Boncombe. Buncombe? Buncombe. Buncombe, yeah. It's, it it's spelled like Buncombe. Yeah, yeah. Buncombe. But it's not. It's yeah, Buncombe. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't think it's... I have. I, I need to look it up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and, and the cost of living up there is much more. So if yeah, we were to I move up the there... Yeah, I real estate is... Yeah, the real estate is extremely expensive. Yeah. And we would want to buy. Yeah, of course. So, yeah. Because I'm not renting I'm not going to rent a place. No. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so if you're going to go up there and you're like a normal person with a normal job, unless you're working remote and you have a yeah. significant other who can also work remote and you're not going to take a pay cut and then the higher living. It'd be expense. cool to live in like Black Rock or Black Mountain. Black Mountain. Like have a home in Black, like have a nice house in Black Yeah, Mountain. or Swannanoa or somewhere like yeah, that. Yeah, like, we, we rented a place in Swannanoa when we went up there for a couple of days. And we rented out a like a home. Uh, There's a bunch of great places to rent in Swannanoa and Black Mountain. It was like on the side of a mountain. It was amazing. It was cheap. Like we, yeah. I don't know, it was like 110 bucks or something for like a night. Yeah. And we I rent mean, out this whole house on the side of a mountain. It was amazing. Yeah. I mean, the hard thing there is the internet's bad. So it it's like garbage. you need to be in Asheville yeah. proper if you're going to have good internet. And so even for me working remote, yeah. I would have to either go to an office, which yeah. we don't have an office in Asheville, or I would need somewhere with great internet which is not going to be right henderson on a hill weaverville yeah. on the side of a mountain whatever yeah. i'm gonna have satellite internet what's garbage um but yeah so moving up there would be very difficult it'd be very expensive it's mm. kind of tough like still so, a dream though yeah so eventually when i don't need to have a job i might move up there but all right now, top top three here. cities you would want to live in aside from raleigh oh god that's tough um okay so Asheville, obviously. Maybe not. Um, maybe not. Okay. Okay. Probably top three cities I would live in. That's not doesn't have Raleigh. to be domestic. You can go international. Yeah, yeah. I was actually thinking that. Oh man. Uh, like I think it was. It's not a city, but literally anywhere on Maui. Sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's. That's I amazing. love it down there. Yeah. I have a. So I went down there a couple of years ago, and a friend of mine lived in Northwest Maui, and she's a professional dive instructor. Cool. And I was just like, I love this place. Probably a whole different life. Never so to different. Yeah. I've, she, I've never been to Hawaii. She lives on, she's currently living on a sailboat that sails. They circumnavigate the globe. Cool. And dive. Wow. And it's like an educational thing. So, so like, she's a teacher on that. No, she's yeah. Well, she's a master dive instructor. Okay. Well, so that's like a teacher, basically, yeah. so basically it's like a, an educational sailboat that sails around the world and they do educational shit, but Wait, she's so there to do the diving part. Does she have a like people with her and she educates them along the way or do they go to places and educate the people there? No, the, there's people who come to the boat and live on the boat and they sail. She around. teaches all of them. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That's fun. Um, yeah. So Maui. Okay, so I Maui. We really got one. Cool. Yeah. Is, is Maui number three or number one, number one being the best? These are in no particular, order. no particular order. Okay. Yeah. This is tough because I've been a lot of international places. Super tough. You got to pick a place. Um, there's part of me that kind of wants to say Grand Cayman, but kind of not like I might like Maui better. You no. got to, okay. Uh, keep in mind, this isn't just like fun. You go there forever. You still have to work and you have to pay your bills. Oof. So 
You can work. You work remotely. You can work remotely. Yeah. You know, and and keep in mind, like your wife's still coming with you. You got your dog with you. Oh yeah. If Steve can't come, I'm not going anywhere anyway. Yeah, exactly. Steve's got to come, and I have three dogs, so I got to worry about all those little Oof. shits. Yeah. Man, I don't know. I don't know. This is tough because I could dream a lot of dreamy things. Okay. So we got Maui. Let's put Maui number three. All right. So let's, let's stay domestic. All right. So we're cutting international out because there's part of me that's like, I want to, I hate cutting international out. I want to live in. All right. Yeah. But let's stay domestic. I'm way too indecisive. If you give me too many choices, right. um, It's too much. There's no way I can. Let's focus. Um, okay. Okay. Don't make me cut it to East coast. Okay. Let's stay. Let's stay. Okay. Um, I feel like I should say Austin. Because a Nothing there's wrong really Austin. good barbecue there, and it's basically like Texas's Raleigh. Yeah, it really is. It's a blue. It's a blue dot in the middle of a red state, just like Raleigh. Yeah, you know, and there's a lot of Dope similarities. Food, there. Bunches of hipsters. You, you could find beards. work. You could, could find, find a job there easy. You both could find work there in thirty seconds. Steve would be very happy. There's lots of lots of lots to do there. Yeah, they um, like guns. They would let me hunt. They do. And stuff. Like, yeah, there's yeah. endless amounts. Okay, so yeah. so we'll do Maui, which is. Still domestic. Yeah. And we'll there's Maui cities three. on Maui, but we'll just say, yeah, we'll just say it Maui doesn't really matter. You can cross the whole island in an hour exactly. or so, whatever. So it's like Ireland. You can get across the whole thing. Uh, yeah. Minutes. Wailea. We'll say I want to live in Wailea. Okay. And then uh, Austin two and in no particular order. We're just going through the three, the top three. Okay. What else you got? <sighs> <laughs> this is so hard. I'm just so you like wouldn't go. You wouldn't go to Asheville for one of them. I don't know. You don't know? Yeah, I don't know. What about like uh, like Colorado, like somewhere out there? Like, I don't know. I feel like I'm so attached to North Carolina as a state, though. I mean, you've been here your whole life. It's a big thing. Yeah. I, I might go further than Asheville. Okay. Like, I'd probably go like, like Boone. No. <laughs> no. Nah. Pigeon Forge? A uh, little south of that. I'm thinking uh, like Bryson City, maybe. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that being cool. Or yeah, yeah like that kind of like... It's um, more chill down there. Like, like no tourists. Yeah, like that sort of like somewhere in between Cherokee and yeah, Bryson Cherokee City. Yeah, school. Yeah, yeah. I, I can, I can definitely really see the appeal cool shit down there. Up there. And yeah. you can get way lost back in the mountains and sick. And real estate's going to be a little cheaper there. Yeah, um, and you're really close to Smoky Mountain National Park. You are. Ch- is Chimney Rocks down there, right? Like in the uh, Chimney Rock is south of Asheville, east, not all the way down there. northeast of Hendersonville. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, like Bryson City and Cherokee in that area. It's like an hour. Cherokee's cool. Cherokee's like Cherokee thirty minutes or so west of Asheville, and okay. then another like hour and a half past that, Bryson City. Yeah. Once I get past my, I need to be near a city thing. I think like I'm going to start looking at places like that. Yeah. You know, like I think that's kind of there's where, lots to do up there. Like Smoky yeah. Mountain National Park has so much going on. There's a lot of cool stuff out there. Like outside of Cherokee, there's a town I can't remember what it's called right now, but like the Wheels Through Time Museum is out there. I've been there. I know exactly what you're talking about. That's yeah. pretty cool. So when I did my bachelor party trip, we stayed. You did in it a at cabin. the Wheels of Time. Uh, well. I get to, <laughs> yes, kind of. Um, I we stayed in this cabin up on the side of the mountain, like east of Cherokee, and um, we were like 15, 10 minutes, fifteen minutes from the Wheels of Time Museum. I think I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, and I I've ended, been there a bunch. Yeah, yeah, it was like right near one of the BRP, uh, where you can get on. It, it was like right near. Yeah, there. and next uh, to the highway, isn't there like a really sloppy like barbecue place there somewhere? I don't remember. There's a bunch of weird stuff out yeah. there. Um, but yeah, like we went to the Harris Cherokee casino Oh, and yeah. like we like got fucked up in the casino and like 
Yeah, as one stuff. tends to do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we got like, cool. I, uh, we came after we got fucked up at the casino, we came out and there's like a Burger King or something there. And we got <laughs> like 35 single cheeseburgers. Yeah. Like it, it was ridiculous. But we went to the Wheels Through Time Museum one of the days. I've been, I've been to that. I know exactly. I've been to that place. Yeah, it's crazy. But, uh, they they were on History Channel for yeah, a while, and yeah. that dude who runs it was They've on there, the and place. I met that yeah. dude. And yeah, I took all my bachelor party guys, and we went and went to the museum, and we met the the dudes, and I entered this raffle to win a panhead. Uh, I didn't win it, but you know it would have been cool if I did. Um, but we met amazing. the guy who runs it, and I told him that we were there for a bachelor party, and that I was the bachelor, and I had all my dudes with me. And that dude literally just like followed us around cool. the whole place, and was like telling us about like where he got this motorcycle and how cool. to, how long it took to restore it. And he'd like hop on it and fire it up, and he'd cool. be like, "Do you want to sit on it and rev it up?" And, oh, and so he did cool. that to like every motorcycle in this place. Yeah. And then when we got all the way back around to the back side of the museum, like right before it ends, there's a bunch of vintage cars back there. Yeah. yeah. Like late I know. I, 1800s yeah, I know exactly cars, like early 1900s cars. And there's this one where he was standing there looking at it and telling me about it. And he actually kind of looked at me. as like, you know, I haven't had that car out of here in a while. And it kind of needs to be run. Like, Whoa. do you want to go? And Whoa. I was like, I was like, fuck it. Let's go. Yeah. So we like hop in this like 1880s something car. Cool. Huge. This thing was massive. It was like two Chevy Suburbans put together. Whoa. It was huge. But it was like 80 horsepower or some shit. Yeah, of course. Like it, it was yeah. ridiculous. And yeah, the there dude were literally like, horses inside <laughs> of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This dude like pulls up a roll up door. We get in this thing. Yeah. Like he's like pumping the choke. It takes like 10 minutes to get started. <laughs> it fires up. It's all super loud and pulls out and then he drives us all around the yeah. area. And then we come back and like it like uh, it's like keeps trying to stall on the road. So he yeah. has to like glide it into the driveway and we're like going down. He <laughs> can't get it back into the thing. So he just parks. He's like, oh, well, well it's dead. So yeah. <laughs> So, uh, uh, two things about that place. So, one of the funny things, my my grandfather delivered a international scout to that museum oh, that the cool. owner was taking. But this was back when they were new. Yeah, yeah. So, like, my grandfather was like vice president of Mack Trucks back in the day, and like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, and so like he knew this guy, and there was some deal or something happened, and like. Basically, he drove down with this international scout for a trade for something. Yeah. And they swapped off and like he he drove away in a gigantic Mack truck or something. And okay. Like, and like That's left cool. the international scout there. And it was like a brand new 71 international scout. And when I went there, uh, I don't know, 10 years ago, maybe. Yeah. Uh, the international scout was still there. It was like oh, the original shit. one. Cool. Like it was the same one. And uh, from what I understand, and it was, and um, the other funny thing was when I when I went there, I came out to the front of the place, and I was talking to somebody, and they had a WLA Harley Davidson, which is the you know the uh, the World War II, the 1940s ones, yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. the the like 1945 Harley Panheads, basically. Yeah, and they, they have had, the little tiny engine. They get like 200 miles a gallon. Like yeah, yeah, and uh, so they had one of those out front, and it was like some really wild special edition one, like really rare thing. They only made a couple, yeah. hundred, like a couple hundred of them. And it was being like brought into the museum. Oh, and that's cool. the guy was like, I'm going to take this for a spin. And he like was revving it up and he like 
side tailed into something. I got to step up. We're just going to leave this here. And it's, yeah, uh, those dudes uh, are funny, but they have yeah. a bunch of really cool bikes in there. They have a bunch of old, like turn of the century Thor bikes. They have like early yeah. 1900s Harley Davidson's, a bunch of Indians, like really a bunch cool of Indians. really cool yeah. Indians. Yeah. Like my dream motorcycle is the, like, I can't remember what year it was. The one from Benjamin Button, like the forties mm-hmm. or fifties, like, um, yeah, basically like a world war two, Indian, right? Like yeah. the, like post World War Two, the ones that came out right after. Yeah, like the yeah. late forties, early fifties Indian you, scouts. Would you do sidecar? No. You want, no, you don't nah, want sidecar. I want it full Benjamin Button style. I want yeah. like the AV. Like I think the, I would do sidecar. Like, like I want to do sidecar, put my put my dog in it. I think I want to do that. One yeah, of my put dogs. some doggles on him. Yeah, put the dog. Yeah, they would yeah. never wear it. But like I love a sidecar. Like I want I want a bike with a sidecar. Yeah. Like, yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, because I mean, fun fact: the only reason I bought the Miata is because uh, the wife wouldn't let me have a motorcycle. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I've been um, Miata's as close as you can get to a motorcycle. Yeah, I I rode a number of years back, and I've owned motorcycles before. And like, yeah, um, I've had a few. Yeah, eventually, I just got out of it. Like, especially living in the city of Raleigh, and like, yeah. see, Raleigh's not a huge spot, but there's enough people here that yeah. every time I rode how people were trying to hit me with their cars back yeah. out in front of me. I was in Fort um, Lauderdale riding and it was, yeah. it, was, yeah. it was nuts. And I ended up selling my bike and most, uh, not most, all, well, at this point, all of my stuff. I kept yeah. my jacket and my helmet for a couple well, of years because just in case, you know. And Wait, then you still it, have the jacket? Nah, I sold uh, them. Yeah. And because um, at that point, the the rating on the helmet was almost up. And oh, so they I was go. like, I'm yeah. going to go ahead and sell it. And I went ahead and got rid of my jacket too because a guy approached me about buying the helmet and then I was like, hey, I got some jackets. And he was like, yeah, I'll take all of them. Um, so he bought everything. Nice. And I was just like, all right, yeah, take it. Um, but like a couple of months after I sold my bike, uh, a really good friend of mine was killed riding oh, in Zebulon, which is a little tiny town east of yeah. Raleigh. There. And um, it, it was just one of those experiences where it was like, he posted on Facebook that he was going for a ride and uh, people were like responding because he was like, Hey, I'm going for a ride. Does anybody want to meet up? We can ride together. Um, and I saw the post like an hour or two after he posted it. And I was like, Hey man, yeah. like if I had a bike, I'd ride with you, but you know, I can't. So, uh, you know, be safe. I'll see. I'll hit you up later this week. We'll hang out. Um, he was already dead uh, by the time Jesus. I even posted that on the, on that sucks. The, on the That's so bad. Up. I'm sorry. So that sucks. Yeah, it super sucked. Um, and so I mean, I felt kind of bad about selling my bike. I like riding; it's really fun. Like if I was able to ride in a way that was like safe, you yeah, know, where I definitely wasn't going to get hit by a soccer mom, right? Of course, you know, I would do that. Yeah. Um, but you know, just get plowed into wife, a dog, three hundred. You know, wife, dog, house. Wait till, wait till you have a kid and then it's yeah it's, I'm, you know i'm just not trying to die doing it like i yeah. love riding it's fun but i'm not trying to die doing it so. i mean that's why i was okay going miata because like i got the i have a full roll cage of mine yeah and it's i'm like i'm like okay i yeah. can do this yeah. you know and i've got airbags yeah but okay so side question okay if you could buy uh let's say from the factory right now okay what motorcycle would you buy from the factory right now. Yeah, like brand like new. Oh man, that's really easy. Oh yeah, what? Yeah, um, a uh, one of the Triumph Bonneville like T one hundreds. 
That's so funny because like I was that's exactly what I would buy. They're like seventy five hundred bucks, eighty yeah. five hundred bucks. Uh, I think they're more than that. I think they're are like they a little right more? at nine or ten. Nine. They've gone up a little recently, but like yeah. they're super classic, really great. I like the. I actually like. I would pay a little bit more and get the scrambler model. Yeah, because I like the dual side pipes. Well, what's cool about the the scrambler model is the way that the pipes instead of coming out the bottom and going out the back, they come out the side and then come up the side and go up the side is it's a, um, that bike is made for on and off road. Yeah. That's yeah. That's I'd be a fan. That's, that's why I like the scrambler model. Yeah. Um, but there was, so there was a, like around 2013 or something like that. Um, triumph did a special edition of the Bonneville, and it had some German name to it. I can't remember what it's called. But um, so the Harley Davidson dealership in Raleigh is also a Triumph dealer. The and one on Tobacco Road? Yeah, they're called Tobacco Road now. But it's, it yeah, was Ray Price. Yeah, yeah. Because um, Ray Price was a big like gotcha. Harley Davidson drag like drag race thing. And all the way, uh, all, okay. all the way up until the year before he died, he was still racing bikes. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Um, and so after he died, the family didn't want to keep the dealership, so they sold it to the whoever owns Tobacco Road now. Um, but so, yeah, so they have a combo Triumph Harley-Davidson dealership there. And they had a, a version of the special edition bike, and they took it. And, um, you know, dealerships will typically mod bikes and stuff. Like sometimes if they get a super special edition bike, they won't leave it that way. Yeah. They'll take it back and mod it. Yeah. yeah. And so they took this. Not like, uncommon. Yeah. So they took this like super special edition version of the Bonneville. They took it back into their shop. They uh, put racing springs on it, slammed it to the ground, put cafe race, ca- like cafe bars on it. Cool. They took the whole back end off. They put like a, um, like a Japanese style cafe back end on it. All yeah. this stuff. It I'm a was fan of that. super yeah. badass. And it was basically a cafe Bonneville. Yeah. And it was, awesome and i wanted it but it was 12 grand <laughs> um so of course i didn't buy it plus the way that they'd slammed it it was um height right adjusted for somebody who's really short oh okay so i was i'm like you're out of the- six inches too tall yeah for this bike so but it was really cool makes sense yeah. yeah yeah i think i would go the same route like i really like yeah especially once they came the out factory. with the twin yeah because they put a 1200 in the twin yeah exactly yeah and that's the biggest engine that's ever been in a Bonneville. Yeah. And that was like four years, four or five years ago. Yeah, because I, I like I look at, you know, the new lineup of Harley Davidson and the new lineup of like and even the new Indians and stuff like, you know, now Indians back and like some of the stuff they're doing is really. Yeah, cool. I want them to do a throwback scout. They have to like, why are they not doing that? It's I don't really because they're really doing bizarre. the chief. That's basically the only bike. Yeah. And, and I don't understand like so why they're not. Doing and they're expensive. They're, they're like, yeah, they're running too heavy. So so it's really weird to see like this whole lineup and I'm I have no interest in like uh you know a CBR 1200 or whatever. Yeah, Honda, but like if even Ducati came back out with the classic 1200. Yeah, I mean that's cool, but like like I, it's basically a super care. souped yeah. up um Indian Scout. Right. Yeah. Like it's like if you took the 50s Indian Scout and put a 1200 in it. Yeah. That was the classic 1000. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah, I mean I think right now that that Triumph is like the way to go. Yeah. If I was going to do a motorcycle. I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. What about uh current production car? Current production car? Yeah. Like if you could take one new car right now. Yeah. We're so far. Are we talking now. about fast cars? No. Whatever car you want. I don't care. Like a Bentley. Whatever. Like whatever you want. Oh, one shit. new, like one new production car off the line. 2020. See, I'm so modest. When I think about that, I'm like, I want a forerunner. 
like a, like a 2024 one. They have those stupid shelf taillights. I don't know. Um, <laughs> You're like, I don't give a shit about the taillights. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, any production car. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Hellcat, uh, uh, you know, uh, Lam- are they still making Mercalagos, the Lamborghinis, whatever, whatever, whatever you can get in a 2020. What do you want to walk out the door with? Keep in mind, you're keeping your current cars. Like you have a daily driver. Oh, we're gonna I we're d- gonna take. Yeah, I do want to sell the Jeep. Yeah. So so, right. so let's imagine I sell the Jeep. All yeah. I have is the Corolla. You got a Honda Civic, whatever. Yeah, I got a whatever to beat. This is your in. toy. You get a. You get a. This is my toy. Uh, price. I don't doesn't know. My matter. brother's gonna hate me if I say like a Dodge Demon or something. A Dodge Demon would be pretty cool. Are yeah. they making demons? And are they still making demons? I don't know. See, that's part of it. I don't really pay that. I'm too modest. I don't pay that much attention to cars I can't afford. Yeah, I think I think they are still making demons. I think you can get a 2020 demon, but like that's what you want, like the drag, the drag strip demon. Yeah, I mean, I just so it's it's tough because so the car I had before the Jeep was a 2005 Mark IV Jetta, and I love that car. I had it slammed. It was all souped up. It was fast as fuck. I loved it. It like cornered really great. It was. It would have been like a really great like rally car. Or yeah. like, a, um, or like a good like autocross car. I could see that. Yeah. Um, and like the thing that's always concerned me about GTI. getting into, I get like, it. Yeah. yeah. But the thing is concerned me about like getting like a Challenger or a Mustang or something like that. I mean, they are straight line cars. Yeah. And that's just not how I drive. Yeah, I get it. You know what I mean? I mean, nobody does that. Yeah. So I, I, mean, mean, I mean, except my says brother. the guy who has like a you know big V eight Challenger. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean. And, you know, anytime I'm, I tell my brother, I'm like, hey, man, you know what? It would be really cool. A Challenger. He's like, Challengers are garbage. Like, you don't want that crap. A bolt-on Mustang will eat a Challenger in live. And I'm like, yeah, says Most you. Most of the time, yeah. You're the one with a fucking 850 wheel horsepower bolt-on Mustang. <laughs> like, get out of my face. <laughs> That's I'm just a lot not of a, money, though. I know. I'm just not a Mustang guy. Either. Yeah. I've had, I've owned a couple of Mustangs. Like, I, I don't see anything. I owned a, I had a 93 LX, like, notchback. Yeah. Uh, uh, 5.0. That was, it was stock. I put some money into it. It was, it was fun. Yeah. I had a, um, I had a 71 Mach 1, which was great, but I mean, it See, was, that's it way was more disaster. Me. Like I would love like a 69 Charger RT or like a Judge GTO or like something really cool. Like okay, that. fine. Okay, fine. Or Let's like open it up to history. Vintage cars, vintage cars. That's Let's way open more it up to history. Or like fully custom cars. Like I would love like a early 40s Dodge truck body rat rod. Okay, I could see that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that, that shit to me is way cooler. Or like a really badass like V8 that's been like LS6 swapped or something. That could or, be cool. Um, uh, what did I say? A really cool V8. Like a Volks- <laughs> like a ba- like a Baja Beetle that's been like LS6 swapped. You know what I don't I mean? know how you would LS6 a Baja Beetle, but yeah, that would be interesting. You know what I, I mean? actually I, I actually I have seen one. You yeah, just yeah. cut the whole back out of it. No, no, no you you put the the V8 in the front. I've, I've seen it done. It's crazy. Yeah. 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 Like you could it do It costs that. a lot of money to do yeah. That. yeah. Or like, yeah. Or like the vintage Beetle or like the vintage Rat Rod Beetles where they slam them and then they which put are like fun. the Corvette engines in the front. Yeah. 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 Like I would rather have something like that. Well, it's unique. It's a, it's different. Yeah. Yeah. And that's part of the reason I went for the Jeep, but then I figured out really quick. I'm not that into it. Yeah. It's a lot. I think, I think, well, if we if we were like all of time in history, I think I would love like a '69 Roadrunner. Oh yeah, I think yeah. that'd be my like. I think that'd be my like. That'd be really cool. My I jam. almost bought a, a Year of the Bandit um, Trans Am '78. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a yeah. 
No, it was a, I can't remember. The gold. Is it 77 or 77, 78? 77, 78. Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, my first car was a 71 Chevelle Supersport. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It, um, my, uh, my dad dragged the uh, an, a roller chassis up and basically built the motor up from there. Nice. It was crazy. It was a wild car. Yeah. Like one of the other ones that I dream about would be having like a 40s or 50s Bronco. Did they make Broncos in the 40s or 50s? Uh, yeah, they did in the 50s. The 50s? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love the early Broncos. Those are super cool. Yeah. yeah. They're really cool. Um, I like the size of the 80s Broncos, but they're just garbage to drive. They're horrible. Well, so the vintage Broncos, like the 50s ones, were the same size as the Bronco 2s. Right. That's it's just what, it was I like way the size better. of the Bronco 2. Yeah, yeah, so I had a 95 Bronco. Did they make stick Bronto, Bronco 2s? Is that? A, I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know anything about the Bronco 2. I've never seen a Bronco 2 that didn't have gigantic rust holes in it. That's, that's one of the problems. I mean, it was basically yeah. garbage. Okay, so... So sixty nine Roadrunner, that'd be that'd be a no brainer. Yeah, I would um, love like a R thirty two Skyline. <laughs> that was, was going to just say that. Really, I was going to say yes. Skyline. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was yeah, going to yeah. say R thirty two Skyline, and then I was going to say like if I had to stick in twenty twenty, I think if I had to stay in twenty twenty, I would do a GTR. Okay. Um, Even though it's a BMW. Well, yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> but um, but wait, wait, no, I wouldn't because you can't get a stick. GTR anymore, like at that point. So, like, I don't. I, I don't well, know. so the thing that's about that too is like at this point with the way that the transmissions are going, yeah, the stick is just nostalgic because it, the tr- auto transmission is faster, more reliable, and works better than the stick does. It, and listen, you like my two cars that I own do not show that off more than anyone could possibly imagine because I have a 2020. Dodge Charger RT with an eight-speed automatic, and I have a 2000 five-speed Miata. Yeah. Like, you cannot get on the further ends of, like, automatic excellence versus, like, slush box, crack box, you know? And, like, (laughs) I I love that Miata to death, and the more I drive it, the more I love it. Yeah. And, like... It's just so shitty. It's amazing. I, I, I mean, I can't not love it. It, like, it's like riding a jet ski. I just have a huge smile on my face every time I'm behind the wheel yeah. and I'm driving around. And even if I'm just going to get like a gallon of milk. Yeah. But on the flip side, you know, it looked like there might've been rain. So I'm like, ah, maybe shouldn't drive the Miata. There might be a little bit of rain. Right. You know? So it's like, yeah. there, there's that whole other side of it, you know? Yeah. And like, so like the Mustang that my brother has, yeah. um, it's I'm not even going to go into what he's done to it, all this ridiculousness, but his latest project is that he's pulling the manual out of it and okay. putting an auto in it. Like a, like a newer auto? Like um, the auto, the automatic transmission that goes with the engine. Oh, okay. It's I, like, think, I think the automatics handle higher horsepower levels in the newer Mustang. They shift better. And yeah. especially like, so once you get a car to essentially over 800 horsepower. Yeah. Uh, it's harder and harder. It makes the car extremely difficult to drive from yeah. a manual perspective because you have to put these really expensive, yeah, um, like clutches in them. And yeah. if you're not used to it, you can burn them out really easily. Then you guys send them back to be rebuilt. And yeah. um, my brother's trying to make it into like a legitimate drag car, essentially. So, and so from I've a drag it. perspective, yeah, they're way more reliable. They shift faster. They go faster. Yeah. Like, so he's putting the six speed in it. 
I've driven a drag car before. And like, like on the, I, I mean, I've driven most of my cars on a drag on a drag strip, but like an actual like pro street drag car I drove was a, it was a 74 Nova 454. Sick. And it had a two speed, I want to say Astro Glide, but that's what, that wasn't what it was, but it was a two speed and it literally was like, you go until you're almost done screaming and then you shift it into the bottom, like the second yeah. gear. And it has like, a low and a high. Yeah, you know when you're done by like your voice starts cracking because you're yelling so much and then you crack it into the second gear. Yeah. And this was one of those cars that had like the, like, uh, like the uh, the parachutes off the back and like you know the fuel cells and all that stuff. So it was yeah, it was it was too much. These these cars are crazy. One of the reasons I like my Miata is it's probably been one of the lowest horsepower cars I've ever driven. I think it's like 140 or 150 horsepower. But the actual driving experience, you know, blah blah blah. It's what everybody says when they buy a Miata. Like the actual driving experience is a big deal, and that's what I like about it is because you are actually connected to the road driving around. And that's what makes me a fan, you know? Yeah, I'm I'm trying to look up on my phone right now. There's this really cool um, rat rod that this dude built. And he's, um, so he's a handicapped person. And he was in the Netflix show. Yeah. The fastest car or whatever. Yeah. I know exactly the It's the that white about. Dodge truck rat rod lunch money. Yep. Yep, I know That's exactly the one you're talking about. Yeah, it's like a it's like a 400 horsepower, like super cool dude. Yeah, look like and, a fun fun ride. Yeah, and it is a two speed. Yeah, it's a high and low. Yep. And that's basically it. And that's all it was. You know? Yeah, and, and that's, that's all, all you really need. And it's a hand shift kind of thing. Like he can drive the whole car. And he with was his competing hand, like, against like for, like high end Ferraris and like really amazing things. You know. Yeah. And he hand built well. He, he and, and a buddy. Yeah, he and a buddy like hand built a lot of stuff. You yeah. Know? And it was an amazing car. Like I remember watching that, like when that show came out and that whole season, that was the car I wanted to take home. Yeah. At the end of the season, I was exactly. like, yeah, that's the one. That's the one I want. Yeah. Like um, a buddy of mine is friends with a guy who builds rat rides. Yeah. And I want one so bad. You can, um, you can take your Jeep, strip it all down. And apparently you can use Jeep frames as like, like rat rod big rat, yeah, like, like Jeep frames are highly sought out for rat rods. Man. I wish I could do that, but I can't. I can't ditch the money I have in the Jeep. So if yeah. you want to buy a really badass Jeep, I have one. It's pretty it, cool. It is a badass Jeep. I highly recommend it if you do want to buy it. Yeah. So I'll list it here soon. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Let's back to the beer. I still haven't talked about this beer. So it's from Burial. It's a collaboration with Alvarado. It's called Manifestations of Majestic Memoir. It's Which IPA. means something. Yeah, I don't know. They name their beers all kind of goofy shit. Um, but it's an IPA. They have a really weird description here of it. They say that it's... God, they say all kind of weird stuff on here. <laughs> things um, things yeah. and stuff. Uh, the can looks pretty cool. It has like a sunrise with clouds and mountain scene. and Very all this brassy. Stuff. Like it's, yeah, it's really cool. Um, but it says it's a sessionable IPA layered in extra pale barley and malted oats saturated with incognito and Sabro Cryo hops. It is sessionable. Uh, I tried it. Yeah. Double dry hopped with hand-selected Citra and Azaka hops with a dose of Sabro and Y-E-T hops. It's good. I yeah. mean, I it you could easily drink six of them. 
Oh yeah, yeah. Really easy drinking. Um, you don't get IPA tongue from it. No, not bad. I mean, it's definitely not one of those like super New England, very clean and citrusy kind of ones. Yeah. It's just like a really solid, you know, medium ABV yeah. IPA, easy drinking. You know, it's good. I like sure. it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. All right. Again, with our horrible rambling <laughs> for so long, finally getting to the subject of the conspiracy. Jake, I don't know shit about this one. Okay. What are we talking about? I'll educate you. All right. So, yeah, I'll break it down. So, a lot of the information here, uh, I, you know, I do know a lot about because we're pulling a lot of it from a book I wrote. So, <laughs> Zach. So, yeah. So, uh, I wrote a book and released it uh, earlier this year. And it was called the uh, the Florida Skunk Ape: A Complete History. And, uh, and where can you find said book for purchase? Uh, uh, you can if you just Google Skunk Ape, you can find it on uh, Amazon. Nice. Uh, so it pops up there. It's uh, I wanted to make it free to everybody, but Amazon has certain rules about how they do stuff. So it's if you don't have a Kindle Unlimited account, it's going to cost you ninety nine cents. If you have a Kindle Unlimited account, it's free. If you really can't afford it, send me an email and I will send you a copy 100% for free. Don't okay. worry about it. I mean, um, 99 cents is a little pricey for me. I get all my books from the library. So. It can be high. It can be highfalutin for a lot of people, but it is. I, I did originally want it to be free to everybody, but I mean, books aren't worth 99 cents anyway. So, uh, well, yeah, silly books. And I'm just kidding. People that read them. I love books. <laughs> I, I definitely have an attachment to print. Yes, me like, too. I can't yeah. read books on the internet. I got to have paper. I I have probably quadrupled my reading amount since I switched to a Kindle. Um, because one of the things is I when I lay down at night, uh, my wife likes it very dark. And so okay. I read the Kindle with the backlight. And so I end up staying up like two or three hours after she falls asleep and just reading, reading, reading. Okay. And so I, I just know I've, I've really started reading a lot more since I went Kindle years ago. Yeah. So I have actually a problem with my eyes where they don't read at the same speed. And so reading yeah. period for long periods of time can be trouble. Yeah. It can yeah. be very difficult for me. My eyes track at different speeds. So it's like the instant I start reading, I instantly start getting sleepy. It's really weird. Sure. Yeah. And um, it's less prominent on print. Okay. Um, and it's that makes more, sense. It's yeah. more prominent on digital. Sure. Um, which, I mean, is not a problem with my job because I'm typically reading emails. It's like and five you're scanning sentences. and going yeah, back and forth and, and yeah. doing a lot of different stuff. And looking yeah. at spreadsheets is not a big deal or whatever. But like if I'm reading a print, it's when you focus it, in. Yeah. And it was hard in school where we were like reading textbooks where the text is really tiny and it's these of very course, yeah. wide, you know, it'd be like. 15 words wide. Right, you yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Like that was really Standard hard for me. Yeah. yeah. So now like if I do have to read print, I'll read the smaller, like they make like full size versions of books and then they, they make these like mini versions of books where it's like yeah. a smaller, less expensive version. Yeah. I can't remember what it's called, but the book is thicker, but the pages are less wide. So there's less words per line. That's right. easier for me. It helps read. a lot. Yeah. And then I read a lot of like uh, graphic novels and yeah. manga and stuff like that. And that's a lot easier for me to read. So yeah, yeah. Because you're moving around, scanning yeah, a lot more. Yeah. So I don't typically read in digital. I also don't have a Kindle. So, um, one of the things that might interesting you interest you about the Kindle is um, you can blow the font way up. Oh, so that like you can have 
10 lines to 15 lines per page, quote unquote page, like okay. for, for the screen. And there, it's like a black and gray, right? It's not. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. yeah. So you can, um, you can change the font to different things. You can change it around to whatever okay. you want. So like it may work for you if you blow it up to a bigger font. You know? And so Kindles like, are pretty inexpensive too, right? They are. I mean, yeah. I mean, for what you get, like um, the one I'm reading, the one I have right now, I think I paid $100 for it like seven years ago. Okay. And yeah. And I've, if you have like a Prime account or a Kindle Unlimited I, account, which, which is do, like a yeah. dollar a month or some garbage, it's like really exactly. cheap. Yeah. I have a Kindle Unlimited account, which is ten, which is nine or ten dollars a month. Um, and you basically get access. It's like Spotify for books, essentially. And I read a lot. I read like I read like three books a week, probably. Okay, that's more than me. I might read three books a year if you uh, don't include manga. Yeah. So I mean, I I dive in. I like chew through books really fast, and so like. I read, I alternate, I'll read a nonfiction for a fiction. So okay. like I go back and forth. So like the last nonfiction book I just read was the whole, I read um, Chernow's Hamilton, which is the book that they based the whole Hamilton play on. Okay. Um, which was a little, it took me a little bit longer than normal to read because I think it's like 900 pages or something. It's a pretty thick book. Yeah. Um, and then fiction book, I'm reading this really horrible book called time tunnel colon the twin towers and it's this time travel book about the twin towers oh that's weird it's just gar it's so hard to read yeah um and no offense to the guy who wrote it but offense it's horrible um but but it's still kind of fun because like it alternates between like what's happening at the twin towers on 9-11 and roswell new mexico that's weird and i haven't seen the connection yet but like He's trying to get to it, but you're I, like, I hate to say it's yeah, exactly. I hate to say it's garbage because like I'm still reading garbage. it. You know, I'm still I'm, I'm like fifty percent through it. I'm still like slogging through it because it's kind of interesting. The but he hasn't thing. made the connection yet, and you're halfway through the. No, book. not really. Like, wow, that seems loose. Yeah, his writing isn't top notch, but like the idea is there, and the idea is interesting. So right. I'm, I'm following through with it. But like, but yeah, so I read a lot. So like, I went from yeah. like Chernow, Chernow's Hamilton, which is like, uh, you know. Pulitzer Prize winning level book. Yeah. To like, like a little bit random. of internet gorge. Yeah, exactly. So, so <laughs> yeah. I go back and forth. Yeah. My wife reads a shit ton. Being a school teacher or whatever, she's all about right. ac- racial equity and all of this ridiculousness. Yeah, and so yeah. she's constantly reading like uh, voice authentic books and stuff like that yeah. where um, you wouldn't think that that's a thing, but it's crazy if when you look back through time, how many books it's are written and they're not voice authentic. And so most, yeah, yeah. most, most. So yeah. she's really into seeking out and finding voice authentic books and reading them. And there's a lot of books nowadays that are voice inauthentic, you right. know, like, um, and it's, they're identifying them more clearly. Right. Exactly. Which is great. We're like, like the main, the young character is a young black girl and it's written by, written by a white guy like that. You know what I it's mean? It's a problem. Like, yeah. yeah. That, I, yeah. I mean, I don't know if I'd necessarily call it a problem, but it's not authentic. Right. That's what I meant by promise. It's not yeah, authentic. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, the, the backbone of writing is it's not just like write what you know. Like you can research something and figure it out and write what you think, you know. Right. And and I very much, at, as a person who was a journalist for years and I wrote about a hell of a lot of things, I had no idea what they were. Right. You know, I had to figure them out to write these articles. Right. And so there is this definite understanding of like if you want to write about something you got to figure it out you got to research it you got to do it yeah and there's this whole movement to kind of like slap down people who write about situations that's that are, not that involved in right you know? so right it'd be like I if i wrote it. a book about what it's like to be a female teacher in modern america 
I don't fucking know. You know what I mean? Well, I could research about it. I could learn about it. Yeah. But I'm not that. So yeah. my voice yeah. would be inauthentic. So yeah. she reads a bunch of stuff like that. Yeah. And um, I agree with that. I think it's I, really on the cool. other hand, don't. I play a lot of video games. I do research for the podcast. Yeah. Um, I like to hang out with my dog and exercise. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. I'll Like if I'm going to sit down and read, I'm basically almost exclusively fiction. And do you ever do you ever ask her to give you a rundown of what she's reading? Sometimes. Like what? Like tell me about it. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, I do. I sometimes cool. will be like, "Hey, what are you reading right now?" I do that with my wife a lot. Like, like I love what know. she reads. Yeah. And there's this thing that I do that she hates, but it's really funny. So you guys <laughs> should try it. If if so, if you're like me, where you're not a huge reader, I do read some. So like right now, I am reading uh, the One Punch Man series. Yeah. Which, um, if you like manga or you like anime. Uh, it's really great. It's very funny. It's very witty. It's extremely well done. Also, if you're in Raleigh and you wanted the One Punch series anime or the mangas, sorry, you've got them all, right? Uh, yes, I do. I'm sorry. <laughs> Apologies. Um, so I keep getting them in 10 book runs because I yeah. can read. So I don't read very fast, but when it comes to manga, I do read really fast. Sure, yeah. Like I can blast oh, wow. it cool. like really, really fast. Um, and so I get 10 of them at a time. Okay. And basically, as I read them, I just give them to my wife because she goes to the library all the time because uh, she has a teacher account. So she does she a, read them or just no? Oh, okay, no. But as a with a as a teacher, you can get essentially unlimited. You have books a different yeah with an unlimited time frame on how long you can have them. Yeah. So I have, I think, six or eight more to get through for my next ten. And once I get down to like where I only have one or two left, I'll get the next ten. So sorry if you're in the rally area and you're looking for one punch man. You I might have, be cheating this. I have right? numbers 15 through 20 or 17 through 20 right now or something like that. I don't remember. Um, but once I finish this next set of them, I'm going to read the first Witcher book. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that, cause that one's sitting at the bottom of my pile. Like I want to finish cool. one punch man, but there's a fuck ton of them. Yeah. yeah. It's um, endless. Yeah. yeah. There's a bunch of them. Um, but and so for me, it's like basically all about fiction, right? Harry Potter, dystopian novels, sure, uh, shit like The Witcher. That's all. Which right is up fun. My alley. It was a great stuff. And it's, so because that's all I really, really want to read. I don't really care about people and their lives and things that happen in real life. I want to know about dragons and fantasies <laughs> and you know magic and and dystopian and shit that's not real. Like if um, I'm going to sit down and read a book, it's got to be some shit that's not out, real. Outside of manga. Like uh, outside of like, you know, Japanese uh, um, graphic novels. Sure. What's the best graphic novel you've read? Oh, fuck. Um, well, I guess it depends on what you mean by graphic novel. Because there is a slight difference between a comic and a graphic novel. And I have read a number of comics, but when Let's I Let's say them, graphic novel. Because I, I know what you mean by the difference. Let's say graphic novel. Um, or, or limited comic series. Let's add that back in. Limited comic series. Yeah. Like where it's a couple issues, like something like Arkham Asylum or like, you know, or the killing joke, you know, like uh, none because I haven't read any of those. Really? Mm-mm. Okay. So what were you going to say before I said that? Um, I was going to say either Walking Dead because okay. um, when I read those, I read them in the compendium. Okay. Uh, format so and there's like, like I don't 108 like, episodes 130 yeah. or whatever it is, yeah because yeah. I don't like to read individual comics so I will okay. wait until there's like 200 of the issue out and then I'll buy the compendium I'll read the whole thing and then I'll sell it have and you I'll read get the have you read compendium. like uh like Batman like the killing joke or have you read like uh lo- the long Halloween 
No, unfortunately. Oh, so should. I'm a really shitty comic reader. I miss all this really iconic, great <laughs> stuff that people are like, that. you should read this stuff or you should buy this stuff. And I'm just like, I don't know. I probably should, but I haven't. Did you read the original Watchmen? No. You should see. You should my brother it. has that whole series, and I need to get it from him and read Just it. Go punch him in the face and take his watch. He's told me. So go my brother has this whole library of really great yeah. graphic novels and manga and all this ridiculousness. And um, every time I go to his house, he's like, "Do you want to take something?" And I'm like, "No, not right now." Um, but I should. I should. I should take the Watchmen from him. But one that I actually have read in trades, um, which is basically like a baby compendium. So there's individual issues of comics, and then once they get through like ten they'll release a trade. It's like the first right. 10 yeah. episodes. And then once they get through like 200 episodes, then they release the compendium. It's like, yeah, um, is, uh, God, God is going to hate me for saying this. Cause <laughs> this is the, it's, I think it is the most brutal comic ever written. Okay. It's called crossed. I, I don't think I've ever heard of it. <sighs> you are going to... Should re- I not hear of it? Yeah, you're going to regret me telling okay. you about it. So um, I'll just ignore it. I'll pretend it doesn't exist. Yeah, so Crossed is an extremely fucked up comic book series. Okay. Like, if you could imagine The Walking Dead mist- mixed with insanity, mixed with an entirely other level of completely demented and fucked up, that's Crossed. Okay. And, um, yeah, like, funny enough, my wife introduced me to them she bought me the first trade really that's funny. yeah and um it's one of those series where when you go to the store and you pick up the trade and you take it up to the counter and you lay it down you lay it down on the counter very softly and you like slide <laughs> your hand off of the counter and like just stand there and stare at the guy checking you out and, and then he turns is like can i help you and he turns and looks down and he sees you're buying a trade of crossed he very slowly just kind of picks it up and scans it <laughs> and sets it back down on the counter and then you can see it behind his eyes where he's like, you're a piece of shit. <laughs> and, and, Amazing. And, uh, yeah. And they just, they, I want to read it just by that description. They never say anything to you. Okay. You just, you take it up the counter. You lay They're it just down. like, Jesus Christ. They pick man. it up and scan it. They put it back down. They look at you with these very judging, uh, you're a terrible person for buying this uh, eyes and then, wow. um, okay. they go about their business. Okay. Um, but what's crazy about it is um, a number of years ago it exploded. Okay. People started figuring it out. Like they were like, this is the most brutally insane fucked up bullshit that is on print here. What's give period. me, give me like a, like an a example. two sentence. No, just give me like a two sentence, like synopsis. Like what's happening. Okay. This? Why is it? So essentially the storyline of Crossed is imagine uh, essentially a walking dead type situation. Sure. Right? Zombies. The world has okay. ended zombies and whatever, except that the zombies are not zombies. They're just people who have gone completely insane by this uh, uh, basically uh, bio tissue transmitted disease. Imagine like 28 days later where okay. it's like, so it's a virus of some sort. Yeah, it's like a virus of some sort. It's sort they're of sick. You're right, but like, but they're in, still human. They're still yes, there. They're not zombies. They're not dead, rotting people. They are. They're just crazy. People. So it's sort of more on a like mix of The Walking Dead, but with more of like a 28 Days Later essence, where it's like because in 28 Days Later they're not zombies. They have right. a virus called the Rage right, right, right. virus, and it makes them unbelievably like filled yeah. with rage, and they just run after you and want to kill you. 
is a very similar premise here. Right. Right. So there's this virus that infects people. It makes them insane and they do horrible stuff. Right. And it can be transmitted in a number of different ways. Are they ways. thoughtful? Yeah. Like, do they think about what they're doing? They like plan yeah. things out? Yeah. They're intelligent. It's not just like crazy. No. Okay. It's that's, not that's like, horrible. it's not like unfettered rage. Like 28 days later is it's actual like groups of them get together and try and get people oh, and Jesus. think of fucked up ways to hurt you. They're still intelligent. They can like, uh, they can like create groups and hierarchies. They can use guns. Like, Oh, it's so horrible. Oh, they're just insane. That's and even so, worse. That's a thousand yeah, times worse. Yeah. And so like, um, here's a really good example in the very first trade. I think it's like the fifth or sixth episode. Uh, the main characters are in a group and basically as they travel through the first season of this, they are getting killed in different horrible ways and the group is dwindling. And one of the ways that the crossed go about getting some of the people from the group as they are hunting them down is the crossed take a bowl and they fill it with bullets. Not like just the projectiles, like loaded bullets ready to put yeah. in there. And they stand around the bowl and they jerk off into the bowl and get their bio fluid all over the bullets, mix it all up and load it into guns. And then all they have to do is shoot somebody and the oh, and bio material infects them. Oh. Yeah. And that's how they get some of the group. Oh. By shooting them with these like jizz covered bullets with the virus on it. And you're reading that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're, you're into that. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes, but no, no. I mean, and just like, if, like if you have never thought that that was a way that you could transmit a virus sure, type yeah. situation, well, I mean, that's the level of fucked up creative that this goes. Right. I mean, if you're, if you're like this group and you have to figure out how to bring other people into this group. Yeah. You know, sure. And if you're not like 28 days later, a raging zombie thing, and it's right. just like, if it's just you and me, like, and we, we don't lose any of our day to day cognitive abilities and we have to come up with ways to, to bring people into our group and do stuff. Yeah. It's like know? the absolute deepest, worst versions of yourself that you could possibly imagine, except a hundred times worse. But you're so infected with this thing. Like, yeah. 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 Crazy. Yeah. That sounds so, horrible. Yeah. So, I mean, but be prepared because if you read this book, I mean, they hurt people and kill people in really, really horrible, yeah. masochistic, I mean, I'm not going to read it. Ways. I'm not judging you for there's, reading it. <laughs> um, I mean, there's killing in it. There's yeah, rape in it. There's, I mean, a lot of really horrible, horrible subject matters yeah. in this book. But it, yeah, it's horrible. Um, I definitely could only read a couple of issues at a time before yeah. I had to put it down. Yeah. And it took me a long time to even get through the first trade because I could only read an issue or two at a time. Oh, geez, yeah. Um, yeah. Cause it would kind of like fuck me up a little bit. Like I, I would read an it, issue yeah. and I would just be like, Oh my God, that really disturbed me. I have to put the book down for two or three weeks before yeah. I could pick it back up, read the next one. I tend to like hold off on stuff like that. Um, but yeah, so I mean, typically that's more what I read. So I'm really interested okay. in getting into the Witcher. So you're a horrible person. Yes. And you read those horrible things that horrible piece and reads. Yeah. Well, eventually I got through enough episodes of it that I was like, all right, I think I'm burnt out on this. Oh, the, oh yeah. I never finished it. So the Witcher, that was a video game first. No. 
It, oh, it wasn't. It no, was it a, was actually a series of novels written okay. in Polish. I don't know anything about it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the Witcher series, it's a series of novels. Okay. Um, it's written through the eighties. Okay. Uh, and it was written in Polish and it became a Polish phenomenon. Like cool. if you are Polish, there's a huge chance that you know about or have. It's like read the Polish the Game Witcher of Thrones books. kind of thing. Like, um, it'd be more like the Polish uh, Lord of the Rings. Okay. Yeah. I see that. Because it was just huge. It blew its and way And you can get them everybody. in English. Like obviously they made yeah, translations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and you've been reading the translations? Um, yeah, I have the first one. Is it, how is it? Is it good? I read the first chapter. Okay. Uh, I, I basically read the prologue. Okay. Um, and then I was like, all right, this is really good. But did you play the game? Yes. Okay. what did you think about the game? Loved I've it. never played the game. Loved it. It was great. Yeah. It's supposed to be amazing. It was a very yeah. authentic and detailed, uh, you know, telling of the story. I'm probably the only guy who worked at a major video game company and never played video games. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I mean, people still play Witcher 3. Um, I mean, it was a global phenomenon. Like, it really opened the door to the entire world learning about and loving the world of the Witcher. Now, Witcher is one of those games where, like, they have libraries and you can find scrolls and there's, like, this endless world of, like, all these different things you can read. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I remember a friend of mine, like, talked about, like, he went and found a certain book and he had been reading it for, like, a week. In the game. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like it's all full of really detailed lore and the characters are really uh, robust. That's awesome. And it, yeah. It's I love really that. Immersive. Like, that's like, really cool. Yeah. Like it's one of those games where you could put thousands of hours into it and there's just so much. Which I'm in danger of doing. And that's, that's why yeah. I tend to not play those game, yeah. games. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like the Witcher series of games, which they're on the third one now, but there's been two more previously. Yeah. And like I wasn't able to play the first two because at this point they're on uh, legacy consoles. Um, but the Witcher 3 was a PS4 game. Okay. Right. So, and I think it was PS maybe two. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> but I have a PS4. I was playing it on PS4. And um, yeah, like it was just I didn't really I didn't know at the time that I was playing it that it was a book, and then the um, series came out on Netflix with Henry Cavill. Oh yeah, and yeah. it was really Superman. great. Yeah, and fan of the show. Uh, yeah, actually, Henry Cavill has played all of the Witchers. He played through the whole yeah. thing. He played the whole thing. He read all the books and everything. Um, so it was really interesting. Like Henry Cavill's a huge nerd. He did a great job playing Geralt. Right, um, and. Um, yeah, like, I mean, they, the writer, I can't remember if he was in, I, I watched the making of the Witcher series too, and I can't remember, but I'm pretty sure the writer was involved. Yeah. And he was like, if you could have translated the books to a series. I like, heard it was amazing. Like, I, I never watched it because I didn't play the game. It's so great. I, I wouldn't know. You, you know? should just watch, like, you don't have to play the games or read the books to love the Witcher series. On okay. Them. It's really, really I'll give great. it a watch. I'll see. Because um, it's a really cool. I'm finishing cool, Watchmen right now. So once I get oh, okay, that, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, the Witcher world, like, does it help if you've read the books and know the lore? Sure. But I yeah. never read the books, but I do know some of the lore um, from the games. And um, yeah, I mean, the show is just really great. Like it does not follow the books at all. Okay. In no way does it really follow the storyline of the books because they do this like time jumping thing in the show. Okay. That's how they took portions of the book and like weaved the story into a way that it would make a really interesting TV show. Okay. Um, 
But even the author, I if I recall correctly, said something like, you know, if you were to take the Witcher books and make them into a TV show, does this follow the books? No, but is this a really interesting way but it's to what he wanted, represent like, the world of the Witcher? Cool. Yes, like it achieved the the mystique and the just all the storytelling awesome. and stuff. Like it was really cool. And so now knowing that, having played the games and then watched the series, I want to go back and read the books and yeah. like really learn all of that. And so I'm yeah. like, I'm really interested. So I read the first chapter it introduces two of the main characters immediately. Um, and it almost starts immediately. Like if you know about Geralt and some of the other characters, especially his lady friend character and how they intertwine right into it, it jumps right in. Cool. The first book does immediately in the prologue. So yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to go ahead and get through, um, these next couple, uh, for books of, uh, one punch man and then get into the witcher. One more side question before we go oh into Bigfoot. Oh, my Lord. All yeah. right. One <laughs> All more. Right. All right. One more. <laughs> okay. Are you playing um, Valhalla? No. 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 So, I, <laughs> what do you know about it and why aren't you playing it? Because everybody's telling me I should play it. Okay. So, the reason I'm probably not playing Valhalla right now is a couple reasons. So, first, um, I've had a PS4 for a number of years. Okay. Um, I basically stopped playing it carte blanche a number of years ago and that's because i was having a the the blue right the blue ray drive issue that people were having oh and i didn't have the money and it was out of warranty i didn't have the money to go fix it i I really didn't feel like i was like needing to go do a bunch of research into what was going on with it so a couple of years go by and right before i buy my new house and move i was like this is pissing me off I need to figure it out. I go online. I research the issue. It's a transmission issue with the eject button. And so I end up taking the top of the case of my PlayStation off, taking some electrical tape, taping it over a thing, putting it back down, and boom, my PlayStation's fixed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Amazing. So I didn't need to stop playing it, but I did. And yeah. I was off of it long enough that I was now behind by a number of years in what the current games were, and I just oh, didn't okay. feel like getting back into it. And so I had already been working on a resto mod PC with my brother, and I had, in these in the time that my PlayStation was being weird, transferred to PC. Okay. And um, if you don't know what a resto mod PC is, they're pretty cool. I can go into it another time. Um, but basically, I take old parts and I make them compete yeah. against current gen hardware um, for a tenth of the cost yeah. of buying a new PC. So um, <clears throat> so it's pretty cool. I know all about it. Um, legacy hardware and overclocking legacy hardware and stuff like that. It's re- it can be really interesting, but um, we'll talk about that another time. And um, so, yeah, so I I had transferred to PC gaming. Um, I had tried a number of different games to get into. I'd played a bunch of League of Legends. I had been trying to uh, get through Destiny, which I was playing with my brother. Um, And I eventually made my way into the world of Apex Legends, which is an offshoot of the Titanfall world. Um, It's made by the same people who made Titanfall. Right. And so now, basically, I have been completely inundated into destroying people at Apex. And so that's what I do now, essentially, is... That's your whole gig. I dominate. That's your day job. (laughs) I wouldn't say I dominate people. (laughs) I'm not like... Like, if you know about Apex Legends, I'm no Zeus or I'm no Itemps or Quick V or anybody like that. But um, 
I mean, if you play against me, don't let him fool you. He's I might kill Zeus. you. I might kill you. He's I'm actually pretty, Zeus. Don't let him fool you. <laughs> he's <laughs> Jupiter. Actually, Zeus. he's Jupiter. He's the oh he's the God. alternative Zeus. Yeah. <laughs> um, Have you played yeah. any of the Assassin's Creed? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I played the first three. Okay. And I stopped after that. Somebody told me Valhalla was amazing, and like, and I'm like, the last actual, the last actual like PC game that I played was um well i get fallout 4 was the last real like pc game i played yeah um because the job i was in um asus gave me like a free big big time like gaming laptop and i like just that was the game that was out right then and so i played it for a while um and then i downloaded gta 5 and was all over that forever uh gta 5 is still a thing yeah, they're still milking yeah. it to this so, day. So basically, like my gaming history was, whenever a new GTA would come out, I would buy a new console with yeah. whatever the current GTA thing is, right? And that's what I would play until I got sick of it, and then I would stop playing games. Yeah. So I was always a big like RPGer. So coming up yeah. through like my youth days, I've played. I was I have a paper either owned RPG. or played every yeah. single Final Fantasy. Okay. Um, even seven i've owned multiple copies of seven <laughs> um i'm so fun fact if you don't know about seven you can beat seven to a hundred and forty four percent i'm trying to remember now it's something yeah you can beat that game over 100%. way over yeah yeah and i've done that multiple it's times or whatever you. i played all of the final fantasies i played all of the metal gear solids like that was my jam playing that kind cool. of stuff and um, yeah, eventually, I don't know, my attention span just got to the point where I couldn't sit down and play a Final Fantasy and really get the story out of it anymore. Yeah. And so I kind of stopped. Plus, once I got up to past, so the last one that I played and just really dominated my way through and loved was Final Fantasy Twelve. And once I got to Final Fantasy Thirteen, like that is a straight line game. Okay. You run in a yeah, straight yeah. line the whole game, and it's terrible. Like, it's not a good Final Fantasy. I've heard people say that, yeah. Uh, and then 14 is an MMO, and then 15 came out, and it was next-gen console. It was very expensive, and I didn't buy it, um, and I didn't play it. So I just kind of stopped going down that direction, too. So, and once, uh, place, and I liked playing PlayStation because they, at the, um, with the PS3 and stuff like that, they didn't charge you to play online like Xbox did with Xbox Gold. Right. Network yeah. access was free. And then with PS4, it's not they free. So I have to pay quick, $60 yeah. a year to play online. So like you can download Apex Legends for free on any platform. But right. if you want to play online with PlayStation, you have to pay $60 a year. Right. I can also play completely for free without having to pay anything on right. PC. So yeah. I do that instead. It's Fair. less expensive. And I get and better that frame. fancy PC upstairs. Yeah, and I get better yeah. frames, and I'm more competitive, yeah. and I have more control over what I'm doing, and it just seemed like a better way to go at the time when I was trying to debate between staying on console or switching to PC. That makes sense. Let me ask you another side question. Okay, how do you feel about camping? Can't, what do you mean? Like, like camping, like, like going out, out the in the woods? Being I the love woods. camping. What, I don't know uh, if you can see all this camping shit. Is that here. is that what all this is? Yeah. All these so, boxes? Fun fact, since it's COVID right now, Jake and I are more than six feet apart sitting we at are. a fold-out table, and we're in my garage recording. It's a beautiful of, garage. Instead of in my office, which is a noise-suppressed room. So, it's a beautiful office also. Thank you. Um, but yeah, no, I have all of this hunting shit and camping so, shit up here on the top of my... So let me, let me ask you this. Okay. You ever seen anything weird on the woods? 
Uh, sure. What what kind of weird things have you seen out in the woods? I don't know. Um. Okay, so probably one of the weirdest things that I've seen is so west of Asheville in the similar area that we were talking about earlier, south of um, Smoky Mountain National Park. Uh, there's a town called Brayson City. Uh, yeah, I know exactly what okay. place. Yeah. So out um, northwest of that Bryson City area, still south of the park, there's a area called Fontana Lake. And around the exactly Fontana Lake area, about. there's yep. a dam there called Fontana Dam. Yep. And Fontana is not natural. Right. It is there a, is a campsite right near there, though. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, there. yeah. So Fontana is a flooded uh, mountain valley. And it was flooded by the U.S. Corps of Engineers, and yep. um, there in the twenties, right? Like in I don't remember. I think it was the late twenties, but yeah. I think you're right. Yeah, and there's a lot of um, not conspiracy, but weirdness, basically, around the development of flooding Fontana, and basically that weirdness is centered around this shady thing that the government did where essentially in that area at the time before the lake was built, mm-hmm. um, there was a still a bunch of homesteading happening right. back there. So there was basically a bunch of homesteading happening back there. So there were all these like no electricity, no internet, no TV, yeah. people living off of the land, communities rough, rough yeah, camping, yeah. back there. Primitive. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but they had like houses and, uh, there was like, uh, they were like these really weird, like railroad towns and stuff. Appalachia. Yeah. Oak. Yeah. And um, I've been all through there. Yeah. Yeah. And so essentially what happened was that what the U S the U S government wanted to put a lake in here. And so what they told the people who lived in all of these homesteads is, is that, um, they would buy the land from them for market value. And, um, but the main concern of the people is that they wanted to still be able to get back to their, uh, burial grounds. And right. so what the government told them is that they would build a road a base. Yeah. Um, and this road would go from Northern Bryson city all the way around the lake back to where their, uh, burial grounds are so that they could get back to their family burial grounds. And, um, so the U S government started to build the road and, um, during the same time, like overlapping, uh, they bought all these people out of their land and the people started to move out under the, you know, good faith assumption that the U S government would continue to build this road. Uh, and basically as soon as they bought the land and these people moved out, the U S government stopped building the road. So if you go into Bryson city, uh, Northwest of Bryson city, there's a little area called the road to nowhere. And there's all these concrete barriers in the road and you have to stop and you get out and you walk and you go through this tunnel. That's like a hundred yards long. And once you get to the other side, it's maybe another hundred yards. And then the pavement just starts to degrade and then stops. Yeah. And right there at the end, there's like 14 trailheads headed out into hundreds of miles worth of trail that go through Smoky Mountain National Park. And so that area is extremely weird, but the God, the deal that the government has made with all these people after they've left and then they did the road to nowhere and basically fucked them and they got sued by these people is the government now has to pay for ferries that go on a rotating schedule of going to the different burial grounds on like a weekly basis. And oh, wow. you can basically either pay for or hitch a ride on one of these ferries to get out to a landing spot on, along the different weird way back yeah. areas of Fontana Lake 
And um, my wife and I and her family have gone back there. Oh, wow. And so basically you get on a pontoon boat and you ride 30 minutes or more and they drop you off on the side of a weird mountain embankment and you just walk back. And if anything happens, you're at the least a 40-minute ferry ride or hundreds of trail miles away from help. Right. Um, Yeah, and so you can walk back there, and as you're hiking back, there's still houses back there that are abandoned. There's, um, like, mills and railroad stuff back there that's all abandoned. And, yeah, we've hiked all through that and seen all that kind of stuff. Like, we've... uh, We've like climbed through all of these, like they're essentially ruins. Yeah. You know, of these like turn of the century, uh, you know, like railroad storage mill buildings and stuff like that all back there. And it's extremely spooky and weird. Yeah. There's a lot of that through Appalachia from basically Northern Georgia. I have to stop you. You have to say Appalachia. Appalachia. Yeah. So, okay. So, um, as a Floridian, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Appalachia. So, pronunciation is actually a huge thing it's through important. the Appalachian Mountains. Part yeah. of the reason for that is um, if you ever look into like how pronunciation matters yeah. for different areas, and this was very apparent in the UK, like Ireland and Europe and area yeah. like that, and it's apparent here too, is the different ways of pronouncing different words. People try to basically be like, you know, now in modern times, they're like, oh, that's not that big of a deal. Like it's Appalachia, it's Appalachia. It doesn't really matter. But um, if you look back through the history of it, it actually does because the yeah. way that you pronounce like the word, yeah. whether it's Appalachia or Appalachia, um, the way you pronounced it was a tell about right. what either political group or the way you felt about the people in that I area. I totally agree with you on that. Was. Yeah. And Appalachia is the native pronunciation yeah. in Appalachia was and it shows where I'm from was you know? the yeah. like people breaking in and they don't care about the culture yeah. pronunciation so anytime anybody's like Appalachia I'm like I'm gonna murder you no and and, and, you and, know, and it's you not know. anybody's fault like there's a lot of people who like no it's 100% true and it shows where I'm from you know I'm from South Florida I, I lived in Los Angeles I moved here you know I don't know if it's Appalachia or Appalachia and it's Appalachia yeah. you know I don't know that yeah you know and so my a- approaching of this is, of course, it's Appalachia or Appalachia. Like, I don't know. So, yeah, now it's Appalachia. I mean, you don't know until somebody tells you. Exactly, 100%. Yeah. So, And it's a similar way. Like, um, I'll have to find it at some point, but there's a really cool documentary about, um, like, Irish and UK relations in the turn of the century. And depending upon what political group you would in, you would, you would pronounce right. certain town names on a that's different bi- pronunciation. That's a real thing. And they'd yeah. be like, you know, they'd be like, hey, what's the name of the town? And they'd be like, it's this. And they'd be like, all right, well, we are going to drag you out back and beat you to death. Right. You know, or whatever. Like, yeah. it was that serious. No, it really was. And and in cities in the U.S., it has been that way, too, in the past. You yeah. Know? Um, let me ask you this other side question. <laughs> <laughs> We're never going to get to the skunk apes. No, stuff. no, this is it. This is okay. it. All right. Uh, what do you know about Bigfoot? It's different from a Yeti. It's different from a small foot. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. So all I really know about Bigfoot is the like, you know, what you learn about as a kid. Bigfoot's this, uh, you know, um, caveman type unevolved thing. 
that lives out in the mountains somewhere. Did your did your parent? I mean, you grew up in Raleigh. I mean, did your parents ever tell you anything about Bigfoot? Did that anything like that ever come up? Like, no, I mean, so my parents aren't from here. Oh, where so are this isn't from? really their thing. My, my mom's from DC. My dad's from Buffalo. Oh, okay. So, so this wasn't really the liberals. Thing. So, yeah, yeah. So I have these like <laughs> north of the Mason Dixon line parents, but I'm over yeah. here like I'm a true Southern boy. And, yeah, you know, sort of. That's why I have like a non-accent. No, it's cool. I get it. No. But I, I've I've lived in both Buffalo and DC, and I love both the cities. Yeah. So um, but if I get real drunk, or and, it'll come out. Yeah. Or like if I am uh, ass deep in a trout river, uh, wearing full body camo, or ultra drunk, or at the beach, uh, getting hammered <laughs> and yelling at people from my parents' balcony at the beach, that's when I sound southern. All right, fair. All right. <laughs> All right. So. <laughs> So for me, uh, I never knew about like what Bigfoot was growing up. Like no idea what Bigfoot yeah, was. No. But what I knew was the skunk ape. I knew like what you learn about in elementary school. Yeah, it's just like this you know big what I mean? thing, whatever. Yeah, yeah, it's just like know. this forest thing that people try to get pictures of and whatever. Yeah. So for me. Like the Loch Ness Monster, you know. Essentially. Like yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. So like, so I grew up with like where the skunk ape was an actual reality. And the skunk ape is basically... Bigfoot's Floridian cousin. Yeah. And so he's in bigger, South, stinkier, skunkier. Exactly. Apier. And, and in South Florida, it wasn't like that the like the Bigfoot was this big scary like thing in the distance or the Bigfoot was this big mysterious thing. It was thing. more of like a West Virginia mountainsy type deal. Sort of, yeah. I guess. I don't know. I don't even really know where Bigfoot is. Northwestern, like Seattle, like oh, think, okay. think so, Portland okay. and Oregon. Yeah. All right, all right, all right. But for for way off. people that grew up in Fort Lauderdale, like the actual skunk ape was a real problem. Like because up until the nineties, the skunk ape might get sparky. Well, the skunk ape was actually being seen, you know? So like in the nineties, like people were seeing the skunk apes like out in the edges of the wilderness. Okay. So there's more than one. Oh yeah. It's Cause there was like my understanding of Bigfoot is yeah. it was like, there's one Bigfoot out there. And we're going to get into that. And it's like a thousand yeah. years old or something. Yeah, we're going to get into that. Okay, so okay, okay. They're definitely not a thousand years old. All so, right. according to David Daigling, author of Bigfoot Exposed, an anthropologist examines America's enduring legend, the legend of the Bigfoot has been around long before there was any name for Bigfoot. Most cultures have some account of the humanoid giants in their history. The Bible and other holy books are littered with reference to the giants. Every language has their own term for the legends. And most mean something along the lines of wild man, hairy guy. A few other languages use descriptive terms of action, such as eating clams or shaking trees. So uh, all the way back through history, there's descriptions of big dudes, big scary dudes who are coming around, shaking trees, eating clams, messing with people. Okay. And every single cultural norm has a historical uh, description of these people. And this isn't like, you know, there just happens to be a Thor Bjornsson living out in the woods. Right. This is like a whole other level of big. Exactly. So, so they know about these like mythical beasts, whether they were imaginary or extinct. Uh, they knew that they used to exist. So okay. all of these cultures. Right. Who's they know? Like, so there's fossils or something. Yeah. So ancient cultures, had descriptions of these like gigantic beasts. Okay. 
So they all linked back to about a million years ago. There was an ape that was larger than a polar bear known as Gigantopithecus. And this monster was an ancestor of the orangutan that could easily flip over any car and could just basically kill a Clydesdale by its hands. So picture an orangutan like 10 feet tall that could just wreck everything. Okay, so way bigger than Thor Bjornsson. <laughs> and quite, that dude's big. Quite larger than Thor. That, if you don't know who that is, it's the mountain from the right. Game of Thrones. Yeah, exactly. So uh, the Gigantopithecus stood more than 10 feet tall and probably weighed roughly 1,200 pounds, which is about 800 pounds more than a standard male gorilla. Yeah, that's 800 pounds more than Thor Bjornsson's. <laughs> <laughs> roughly. 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 <laughs> um, and aside from making a few guesses about their diets and lifestyles, we really don't know much about these Gigantopithecus. So these were... When so they you, don't know if they were herbivores or carnivores. We really don't or know. Like, I mean, there's we have some jaws, we have some pieces. Basically, we think they, you know, ate the same way gorillas did. You know. Okay. So when you look at a gorilla, imagine a gorilla ten feet tall that was just wrecking everything in its path, and this lived in South Asia a million years ago. So we're talking about southern China, Tibet, India, yeah, kind yeah. Of area. One million years ago, like one so million long, ago. one years million ago. years ago. Yeah, exactly. Forever ago. Okay. And the thing is, we wouldn't even know that they ever existed except for one dude. This dude, Ralph von Konigswald, this German paleo paleoanthropologist. Konigswald was working in Hong Kong in 1935 when people dragged him into a pharmacy that claimed to be selling actual dragon bones. What? Yeah, so this dude, he's a German paleoanthropologist. They grab him by the hand, lead him into this pharmacist, and they're like, look, this guy's selling dragon bones. Buy a couple. So he goes in there. I mean, how he, could you not? Well, I mean, they're dragon bones. Yeah. So he grabs a handful, and he instantly realizes that these are actually like the people mandibles. Bones. Well, no, the mandibles of like a giant ape. So like Bigfoot jaw bones. Okay. And so this dude starts looking at it. Well, him. so at the time he just thinks, oh, this is like a really big gorilla. Yeah, exactly. But at the time, we don't know that there was ever a really big gorilla. Right. So for him, this is like a world breaking and world shifting discovery because there's never been a gigantic gorilla. So he sees this thing and he looks at this, you know, portion of jawbone and thinks, well, this must have been something really big, like large. This must have been a large guy. And um, he realizes pretty quickly these are not chunks of a dragon. And so yeah. he starts putting it together. And once Koenigswald knew what he was looking for, uh, this clever researcher uncovered hundreds of teeth and a handful of jawbones that were being sold and displayed by locals as the bones and teeth of these mythical dragon creatures. Okay. So he found all these pieces and he starts putting together and he like starts piling it and realizes. Does he like tell on. the locals he's like, take me to where you found these? Essentially, yeah, yeah. So he starts tracking down all this, all these chunks. Okay. And he starts finding these other pieces and he starts finding all these chunks of uh, Gigantopithecus. Okay. Which is this ancient gigantic ape. So he like kind of like finds enough pieces to like piece together a whole right. Bigfoot. And so he essentially discovers this ancient Bigfoot from a million years ago. Oh, damn, that's crazy. And the funniest part about it is like 
these things are these bones are a million years old and these guys are selling it in this like random local pharmacy as like here's a dragon <laughs> you know and it's like it's like an actually like really rare and incredible thing and they're just like dragon bones dragon bone you know it's like like whatever you know so so then we wonder putting this together and this is what a lot of current uh, researchers think is is Bigfoot some remnant cousin of this Gigantopithecus roaming the lesser populated areas of the world like the Pacific Northwest you know the Pacific Northwest you know we we roam Asheville, I mean it could places yeah it's I mean it could because if you think about Pangea theory it's if a it huge was in southern place. Asia it wouldn't have been that ridiculous to think or even if we think so, if we think about Pangea theory, they would actually have been on the other side of the world from each other. If we think about if they had right. traveled up uh, from Southeast Asia up the coast of Eastern Asia through like the Russian Northeast Peninsula right. across to the U.S., which was only a thing that happened, you know, millions of years later once the land right. masses moved. Um, but okay. So it had to have stayed in Asia. Pangea and a lot of Gigantopithecus years. are way far apart. Right. Like, that's kind of like what I'm that's kind of what I'm thinking now that I've like kind of apart. thought yeah. about it. Um okay. So if the land masses have already separated, but at some point yeah. the Russian America bridge existed. Sure. Yeah, which it and, did. You're right. It did. And we yeah. know that because uh species of wolves have migrated across, humans, uh, humans migrated across. Um so it easily could have uh, existed in Asia, eventually made its way up, lived through the northeastern Russia, Mongolia area yeah. for a bunch of millions of years, and then at some point migrated its way across to like that Alaska area, yeah. and then lived in that like northwest That's the Canada area, and then kind yeah. of migrated its way down into northwestern America. Possibly. Did I just like? You just blew the whole theory. Did I really? No. Oh, okay. Um, so essentially, that'd be so sad. I didn't want to fuck it up. Could you imagine if you just like blew it all wide? Open? I'm amazing. Look at how smart <laughs> I, I am. I discovered the solution. I made it up. Um, I mean, all all evidence across the board shows that Gigantopithecus went extinct about a hundred thousand years ago. Um, it shows that uh, when the new kids on the block, Homo erectus, basically the virus, us, of the but planet. slightly dumber. Uh, <laughs> over, slightly dumber. Over hunted their entire habitat. I mean, chimpanzees. Yeah, exactly. Crushing it. So basically, Homo erectus came in and just wiped out Gigantopithecus across the board because they were able to be more nimble. They were able to hunt like the same food source. And they were able to be to do better at it. You know, and it's you it's know, essentially like breed faster, smaller, smarter. Exactly. So okay, you know, fast forward a million or a hundred thousand years, depending on what you think is, you know, Gigantopithecus, while it was this big possibility did not translate to that's probably not Bigfoot, you know? Okay. Just the, the realities of what was here in that time frame didn't pan out. So, okay. but some of the early stories of the Sasquatch come from native people that were here long before us. Okay. So is Sasquatch and the Bigfoot the same? Basically. Yeah. Okay. We're going to use them interchangeably. Okay. And yeah. that's different from the Yeti. So we're going to use, we're going to use Bigfoot, Sasquatch and skunk ape a little bit interchangeably as the same thing. Okay. 
Uh, when we say skunk ape, we basically mean the Florida Big version in Florida. Okay. Because, uh, that's what my book focused on. Okay. Uh, but the rest, when we say Bigfoot, Sasquatch, that's kind of talking about the same sort of creature. Okay. So what's a Yeti? That's like a snow thing. Yeti is basically Bigfoot in like Nepal, that area. Okay. So that's kind of where that came from. Okay. Cause that yeah. could still be another branch off. The ones that walked yeah, up to the absolutely. Russian Peninsula, the other ones walked down. And and the fact that there are so many different variations could yeah. be a reality of like who they were and what they were, you know. Okay, because in my head I'm seeing you're seeing a God, snowy, all, well all of the a nerds, snowy Wendigo. Yeah, well all of the nerds are going to kill me right now because I can't think of the name of the thing, but the snow beast from like Empire Strikes Back. Oh yeah, the um, I can't think of it. That wasn't it. You know, that's not that's not what people are picturing. The um a wampa. Yeah. I can't believe that I let that 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 slip my head right now. <laughs> I love Star Wars so much. I know all kinds of horrible yeah, Star Wars failed, trivia. Though, I know I did fail. Just dropped it. Um but yeah, like when I think Yeti in my head I'm seeing a wampa. Yeah, same, same. But the Yeti um the descriptions of the Yeti going back to the ancient tales are essentially the same as a Bigfoot, just in snow. Okay. You know, so it's all very similar. So it's a that's polar one of the, Bigfoot. Say what? Polar Bigfoot. Exactly. A polar Sasquatch. So a lot of these stories, the reason that they're interesting is because there is this like thread throughout all of them where they have the same description of a of a beast or a being. But are they the same color and everything? Are they always like they're well no big they and describe brown. no they describe them differently for different parts of the world. So like in Nepal, they talk about it as a white beast, you know. Okay, so that's why I'm seeing a wampa. Right. Okay. And then when you talk about in the Pacific Northwest, they talk about the, you know, Harry from the Harry and the Hendersons, Bigfoot. Yeah, that's what I think about yeah. when I think Bigfoot too. The early stories of Sasquatch come from some of these, uh, some from some of the native people uh, in the Pacific Northwest, specifically in 1896, Chief Michelle, leader of the Nalaxa Pumix people from British Columbia, told a tale to Charles Hill Stout, um, a preacher turned ethnologist and folklorist about the Skaktaqualis. It's just a bunch of, uh, of consonants that basically look like Sasquatch or the benign-faced ones. Hilltow called the Skaktaqualis the Ones of the Nalakapomics. Ones are, uh, are a, uh, a legendary tribe from the Persian Gulf and many other areas that are human animal hybrids that are revered as demigods. Yeah, I did not follow a single bit of that. So, but, all right. <laughs> so basically, like, so basically, there's a guy who went to the Pacific Northwest and they told him there's some demigods living there. Okay. The Lumination told tales about the uh, Samemaques, which were a local variant of the classic Bigfoot. Um, families talked of threatening creatures that would attack and dubbed them Stehea or Quiquia. And they were nocturnal monsters that would carry off any person that spoke their name, even very quietly. Okay, so don't look in the mirror and say whatever that was. Three Definitely times. not Candyman three times. So, yeah. um, in 1847, there was a traveling artist named Paul Kane who wanted to get as close as possible to Mount St. Helens so that he could paint a likeness of it. He uh, he turned to all of his local guides who were local Chinook natives. And he, uh, he asked them if they would take him as close as possible. All of them refused at any price that he would provide. Uh, and they wouldn't bring him within 20 miles of the peak of this mountain. Oh, shit. 
Yeah, 20 miles, which is pretty crazy. That's a long way in the mountains. Yeah. So when he pushed all of them on the issue and pressed them and demanded to be taken there, they told tales of a race of cannibalistic wild men called skookums that lived all over the mountain. The Chinook held that the creatures in the the Chinook held the creatures in great dread and refused any offerings to do an introduction between Kane and the Skookums. So basically they thought that these dark, evil cannibals lived all over Mount St. Helens. And no matter what this guy offered them, pay wise, they would not bring him anywhere. Close. What year was this? This was eighteen forty seven. Okay, I'm gonna go ahead and say at that time. If the Native Americans are afraid, uh, steer clear. Yeah, yeah. I feel like <laughs> yeah. they gotta know. You know what I mean? Like they know some shit that you don't know, and if they don't want to go, you, yeah. you don't go. You know. So around that same time period, there were a bunch of um, less threatening and less evil uh, Sasquatch tales from around the same area. You know, from basically 1840 to 1900. <clears throat> there were a ton of stories of people saying, you know, there's these big beasts that live out there. Don't go. But none of them were as terrifying as the ones above. They were all basically like, just don't mess with them. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And this kind of brings together like um, this ongoing, this ongoing um, discussion of where the origins of the whole Bigfoot theory came from, which was, a lot of native tribes would describe a horrible beast that lived in the woods who protected their area and didn't want to see white people. Right. They're like a guardian of the essentially. Yeah. So or something. So uh, that was a huge thing was they were basically saying there's a guardian out in the woods who doesn't want you around. So don't hang out here. And that was an ongoing a stereotype that just kept showing up and showing up. Okay. And basically everything I dove into and all of the different examples I found, it was the same story. Like yeah. there was, there was a, there was a, like a guardian that lived in the woods that would mess you up if you went there. Okay. You know? So the same trope was just like over and over, over, and, over and over and over again, again. in different locations by different people and different thousands cultures. of miles apart, all the different cultures. All right. And so, so there's it, gotta be something. Going so, on. so exactly. Yeah. So like, you know, thousands of miles apart in the 1800s, people wouldn't come up with the idea of like, Hey, let's just tell people there's a boogeyman in the woods. Right. You know, so there must've been some sort of idea that there was something there. Yeah. Either a shared religious principle or like something that like pointed to this going all the way back. We're still in the late 1800s. Okay. The first photographic evidence of Bigfoot emerged in 1894. This picture of a definitely Sasquatch-looking beast lying face down in a snowdrift circled around Bigfoot blogs for decades before any known story of background was known about it. So this picture was um, shared around between tons of Bigfoot blogs in the um, early 1990s. Uh, it was it was printed in a bunch of books and nobody really knew what it was. And it was shared and shared and shared. And then eventually somebody found the original copy and they flipped it over and there was a bunch of writing in the back. And so this is the, this thing was lost in time and they found this like printing on the back. And it basically said that in, uh, 1894, uh, these random, uh, trappers, like these guys were out that were out there to kill beavers. Yeah. Yeah. Came across this beast and they shot it. 
and oh, took and took a photo of it. Okay, and they just happened to have a, an 1894 Polaroid on them. That's the question. Is like to take oh, okay. a photo in 1894 is a really big deal. Like right. you have to have basically like a like decent size cooler full of chemicals and different things to take a photo and get it out in right. the 1890s. So what? They just happen to have they a just photographer happen to with have them. this camera ready. They just happen to have all this stuff there. So we wonder is it legit or not? Yeah. You know? Could it, could they have like heard the story of the whatever beast and like faked it, you know, right. or something? Maybe they had this guy with them who takes photos. Maybe. Would it be funny? Who punk? knows? Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. So the reality is all of this stuff was going on. They happened to have this guy who had a full camera set up in 1890 and they shot a Bigfoot and he took a photo of the Bigfoot face down the camera. Now, of course, it, it's face down too. Well, it got like, shot. I feel like if they yeah. shot it, like yeah. you're not going to roll it over or I, whatever. I guess. Like, yeah, take I more know. than one picture. But like, so the original, like the photo has been verified to be like, okay. Like it's an original photo. So like, right. if there was Photoshopping done, it had to be done on the mountain in the 1890s. Okay. So, so the picture itself is, is real. Is real. It could have been a dude in a fur coat face down. Right. It looks like a, it looks like a gorilla face down. You okay. Know? So yeah, it's hard to tell. Does, does he have a, sh- does he have like hairy butt cheeks? Um, the butts are kind of hard to tell. It's a little fuzzy. <laughs> it's uh, the, the buttocks are a little difficult. All, so, right, all, right, yeah. all right. We'll, we'll, we'll put a link to the photo in the show notes. I'll make a note to do that. All right. And we'll get back there. So since then, um, the sightings have grown exponentially uh, since the turn of the 20th century, most occurring in Pacific Northwest along the Great Lakes, southeastern seaboard, and the Appalachia. And since the 1940s, Florida has quickly become a hotbed of the Sasquatch and the uh, Skunk Ape sightings. Okay, so northeast, y'all are lame, don't have any. Uh, clearly, there aren't any. Yeah, nothing in, up in Maine. Uh, you know, there are no like Southwest desert yetis, apparently. So. Right. There's no desert yetis. They're all, they're all woods or the swamp. Okay. So moving into Florida, uh, Florida was no stranger to tall tales of mythical beasts and from the, from the native people specifically. Sightings began pretty much immediately as Seminoles and the Megasuki started traveling into South Florida. Um, you know, through the tale of uh, Trail of Tears and through that time period. Okay, so are so, there other mythical beasts in Florida, or is it really there are? Yeah, just so the, so okay. there's basically some dragon stuff and some it's like some giant crocodile big, stuff. Well, yeah, because you have actual giant alligators down there, so you get a lot of okay. that stuff. Alligators, you know? not yeah. crocodiles. Different part of the country. For those. Uh, yeah, so there are some crocodiles, but they're saltwater crocodiles. It, it's a whole. It's thing. complicated. Yeah. So, anyways. Um, uh, they called the, uh, the skunk ape originally SD Kapkaki, which translates to tall man, according to locals. Okay. And, uh, there's a lot of SD Kapkaki living down there in the heavy woods. And according to the guy who runs the Florida skunk ape research center, this guy named David Chile, they also live up in the trees and they're all over the place. Okay. 
So they call the tall man the protector of the woods, and the tall man didn't like white folks poking around their home turf and damaging the delicate ecosystem and, and finding and uncovering the sacred medicine there. So by protecting the woods, the tall men also protect the earth, the medicines, the herbs, and everything else found there hidden among the trees. The Miccosukee and the Seminoles also say the tall men enjoy spying on people, but they prefer to be left alone and simply disappear at will whenever they're threatened or a white person comes around. So my <laughs> theory on this is that they basically created a boogeyman who, to try and keep white people away from the to swamp. try to keep settlers and people from coming in and like coming into their land. That's yeah. what it feels like to I me. I mean, yeah. I mean, that seems and if you look back reasonable. To, if you look back to the settings in the Pacific Northwest in the in the eighteen nineties, eighteen eighties, that's exactly what was happening there. Is white people were moving in and taking over neighborhoods and taking not neighborhoods, Shocker. But taking over land, and so the natives were starting to like find a way to like have a discussion in that, you know? Yeah. So who knows? You know, so yeah. So like their family burial grounds or where they live could have, like if we think about Mount St. Helen, right? Yeah. Um, you know, the natives could have basically claimed that mountaintop area as their land and they wanted a way to keep white people out. And their way right. to do that was to say there was this thing up there that will right. take your children and murder you and whatever. So, like you said, they needed a boogeyman to scare people and keep white people away. And they're like, oh, they don't exactly. fuck with us because we yeah. don't fuck with them. But if you go up there, he's definitely going to fuck with you. Yeah, 100%. So, these indigenous indigenous beliefs led to the uh, later white settlers and even later yet contemporary folks telling their own tales about sightings of the skunk apes and the Bigfoot. Around the same time that Andrew Genzoli a journalist from Northern California started publishing tales of the Bigfoot in the Humboldt times. There were already sightings popping up all over the Everglades. Back in 1942, deep inside Suwannee County, a man was driving along a dirt road and claimed that one of these random skunk apes jumped onto the side of his car, standing on a running board, you know, the, the basic, the side of yeah, the car. Yeah. He jumped on. He was it. basically like moto surfing the side of his <laughs> exactly. suburban. It jumped out of this vehicle and held on for over a half mile. Free, All right, totally freed this dude out. He went to the police, filed reports. You know who knows. So another skunk ape encounter happened in 1957 in the heart of Big Cypress. Two men who uh, who we don't have their names. They spent the whole day deer hunting and settled down in their camp and started cooking dinner. And after they got nice and comfy, a skunk ape burst forth from the dense scrub brush and proceeded to ravage their entire camp, flipped over their tents, ripped up their, ripped up their, uh, their fire. And, and the, uh, the startle hunters ran like hell as the skunk ape grabbed their dinner off the fire and ate it. Um, so I think they just burned their, whatever they were making. They needed a good story and <laughs> needed an excuse. Yeah. Yeah. So, we can't be sure who came up with the uh, with the term skunk ape, but it started popping up in the 1960s. David Sheely, owner of the Skunk Ape Research Center, said the following about the coining of the phrase in emails between himself and author uh, Lauren Coleman, who wrote for the BBC about the whole phenomenon. The term skunk ape has been used as far back as I can remember. When I was just a boy, most likely seven or eight years old, a local man by the name Ram Raymond Wooten would visit our home for dinner. 
Many evenings, the conversation topic was skunk apes. So it's safe to say that the skunk ape name has been around for at least 35 years. I do not remember the exact dates of the Davie, Florida incidents where a skunk ape supposedly killed some cattle and was fired upon by the Florida Highway Patrol. Skunk ape sightings have become so commonplace by the early 1970s that most residents and lawmakers thought it was only a matter of time before some entrepreneurial young Floridian would get their hands on a live skunk ape and start using it in a roadside circus. So Republican State Representative Paul Knuckles from Fort Myers offered up House Bill 1664, which declared it a misdemeanor to take, process, harm, or molest anthropoid or humanoid animals. Uh, Knuckles essentially told a local paper, I'd hate to see someone catch one of these skunk apes and put it in a circus or a zoo. And knowing Floridians, that's exactly what they would do. While the bill sailed through the committees, it was pulled at the last minute before an official vote happened. And Knuckles, who was very serious about this very serious topic, submitted it again the next year and was completely shot down. Even without support from the Florida State Legislator, skunk apes kept popping up all over the state well into modern times. And with the new era, it seemed like the settings got a bit more legitimate. In 1997, an entire tour bus traveling through Big Cypress spotted the skunk ape. Uh, this was 30 or 40 people all saying they saw the same thing. Uh, David Shealy, the owner of the Skunk Ape Research Center, told a local newspaper. They all saw a seven-foot red-haired ape. Shealy had a waning interest in the skunk apes over the last few decades, and this very public sighting reinvigorated him. He hamped up his efforts and searched and decided it was time to find the mythical beast once and for all. One little-known fact about the skunk apes is that they love lima beans. Apparently, they go absolutely bonkers for these legumes, and Shealy would leave plates of the beans all over the area surrounding his home in Ochopee, Florida. And what, what do you know what happened? In the morning, Shealy would come out, and the beans would all be missing. But in Florida, you leave anything out edible, and it would vanish. Right. Uh, bugs, gators, anything. It all, it all disappears. Yeah, but it was definitely the skunk ape. Right. So, but Shealy's magical beans must have worked because... In 1997, from July 16th through August 17th, there were six very in-depth, well-documented sightings of a bipedal creature in the area directly surrounding the spot where Skunk Ape headquarters sits today. The six instances happened near what was described as a burnt-out wooden bridge located on the east side of Turner Road in Ochopee, Florida. And Florida's major newspapers all came out to interview people and try to get pictures of the elusive beast. Reporters from Tampa and Miami descended on the area and started running their theories and descriptions while Sheely was out, out there tracking down footprints and trying to get photos. The first sighting on July 16th at 2 p.m. was by Steve Goodbread, a driver for Pelican Tours who pulled up to the burnout bridge with a bus full of tourists. Together, they observed a large brownish-colored creature hiding behind some brush at the far end of the bridge. The creature continually stood up right on two legs, was approximately seven feet tall, and had hair covering its entire body, except for the face. It was rocking back and forth and shaking bushes and trees, trying to scare people off. Goodbread told reporters at the time. So we go on through here, and, a ba- and basically through these, this two-week period in 1997, there was an endless amount of sightings from people would pull buses up filled with tourists and the tourists would all see the skunk ape in the same area. And uh, individuals from the fire chief in the area to uh, realtors to all these different people 
will be brought out to the same two-block spread in this city of Ochopee, Florida, and all of them would see the same exact thing. Right, this and we period. sure it wasn't like Andre the Giant fucking with people. Well, we don't know where Andre was in uh, July of 1997. I'm sure I we could probably find out. Find out. Um, I'm sure if you Googled, he's probably uh, he's probably at some WWF event. Um, but through this time period, uh, endless people, like over 100 people, saw the skunk ape in this one period, uh, in this one spot. Uh, there were some photos taken. There were some different. There was some different evidence gathered, um, and basically they decided, you know, as they looked at it, this was a real occurrence, and it did seem that way. Basically, two two per, two tourist bus drivers, a realtor, Shealy himself, were all among the crew that spotted this creature. While some didn't call it a hoax, a few did, and even a few used the exact term. It looked like a quote unquote man in a gorilla suit. Uh, in the history of the skunk ape, though, this was definitely the highest number of human eyes in any one such short t- period of time. Counting the bus full of tours, upwards of 50 people spotted the cryptid within two weeks, and this was undoubtedly peak skunk ape season. The people involved in the local weather records from the time agreed that the conditions for spotting wildlife was optimal. The, uh, the water table was higher than ever. It was extremely hot. It was extremely wet. Uh, this basically created a perfect storm for seeing any sort of wildlife. And so in December of 2000, three years later, we started seeing more sightings. People started taking more photos. And one of the most well-known pictures of, uh, of the skunk ape, if you actually Google skunk ape, this is the photo you will see at the very top. Uh, it looks like a golden retriever wearing a bear rug. And it's basically was taken by a concerned woman who described the creature as an orangutan and said it was scared and thought it came from the circus. And she sent this to the sheriff in hopes of him grabbing the creature. Um, But there's really no mistaking that like this definitely was not like an orangutan or a dog wearing fur. If you look at the actual picture, it does absolutely resemble some sort of monster hiding inside these palmetto leaves with glowing eyes and barred teeth. You know, there's, there's no joke about it. Everybody knows what it is. That's exactly it. The one you're looking at right there. What do, what do you see in that picture? I mean, I don't know. It, it does. It looks like a giant orangutan. Right. But it's definitely not like a dog with fur on it. No, like it's I something mean, different. I don't know. This looks like some gigantic thing that would have come out of like Jim Henson's monster shop. Right. Right. Or something like it could also be a gigantic fake Muppet, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like I feel like the eyes and the mouth with the teeth and the fur, like it looks like he's got a little bit of gray going on down on the bottom yeah, of the chin. Could be like, old, older. You yeah. Know how dogs get when they get old. Like, I don't know. I, I have a hard time believing that he just like stood there and smiled for a picture. Yeah. You know what so I mean? it's kind of weird, right? Yeah. Very weird. Cause when you were describing it, I was like, there's no way I saw this picture. I was like, there's no way this is the one. Yeah. No, that's it. That's the one. That's ridiculous. Like I see this picture. I'm like, that's ridiculous. There's no way that this is the one that they're talking about. So let me ask you a side question. Okay. <laughs> what do you know about burrowing owls? burrowing owls yeah owls that live in the ground nothing owls. we really? don't know do you no. know that there are owls that live in the ground no 
Okay. So in Florida and other kind of southern states, there's owls that live in the ground, burrowing owls. Okay. So in um, so in 2004, uh, the burrowing owls on the Florida Atlantic University campus in Bogotá, Florida, represented a serious linchpin in the entire population of the Florida burrowing owl in general. Okay. So these little owls, they're about eight inches tall. They live in the ground. Okay. Hunt hunt worms and whatnot. Okay. Uh, on that campus in Florida Atlantic University, there were 37 owls on campus back then in 2004. Okay. And they were the central breeding population of Palm Beach County. So okay. they made up the entire breeding population of that county. This is going somewhere, I promise. Okay. <laughs> I'm just like, all right. So what these birds in Boca Raton did is they linked together the birds in the northern city of Jupiter, Florida, about 40, 50 miles north, and the birds further south, 40, 50 miles south in Broward County. Okay. So because there was a population of birds in the center, the population of the birds in the south and the population of the birds in the north were able to intermingle and share their genetic diversity. Okay. This is the thing that has to happen so that animals can continue to grow. Okay. Okay. To thir- okay. To, yeah, to, makes sense. To flourish. Yeah, right? yeah. Makes sense. So... If you take these Boca birds, Boca Raton birds, okay. off the game board, you're missing a very important piece. Without them, the entire region collapses because there are no central breeding populations. And then the northern and the southern birds become completely isolated and they will inbreed and breed themselves out of existence quickly. Right. All right. Makes sense. That's what happens there. So it's estimated that the burrowing owls in each area needed at least 17 breeding pairs to guarantee their further existence. Other species have somewhat different numbers of individuals, you know. Plus rows, or minus. Whatever. Um, for most animals, we know uh, we know what these animal we know what these numbers are for most animals. Like okay. we have this written down. So all right. It's all not right. like a big secret. Yes. You know, okay. Yeah. So the closest comparison when we look at uh, all of the things like Bigfoot, all that stuff, the closest compare comparison we could pull up for the skunk apes or for the Bigfoot would be the eastern gorilla. Estimates by the World Wildlife Foundation suggest 250 to 500 individual gorillas are needed to continue their existence. The rule of 5,500 is often cited when it comes to primate extinction. Uh, Australian geneticist Ian Franklin and American biologist Michael Soule came up with the general rule that 50 individuals in the species will keep inbreeding at bay and 500 will prevent genetic drift. Genetic drift basically being a way of saying dead forever and never coming back. Okay, right. Many wildlife management agencies love this 5,500 number because it allows them to generalize whole populations of extremely diverse animals, but every species is very, very different. Koalas don't reproduce in the same numbers as rabbits and guppies are not out there forcing zookeepers to have mental breakdowns the way uh, pandas do. Right, right. So now we have like artificial intelligence and it can like map these populations and look at what everybody needs and really put it together. Right. Um, and now that we've been able to look at all this stuff, we can look at in uh, back in the nineties, there was this controversial idea called the Toba catastrophe theory that emerged. It basically explained that 75,000 years ago, the human species was completely rocked by a series of tragedies and the population was reduced to somewhere between 10,000 and 30,000, or about as many people that fit in the Los Angeles Staples Center. Um, other people call this the grand bottleneck. 
The whole idea was based on the evidence that a sudden climate change and a weird lack of genetic variation in humans caused these problems. So because of a super volcano, we essentially almost went extinct. There's a ton of controversy around how long the human population remained so small, but there is no controversy around the population being reduced to such a low number. And there's evidence that this has happened to other species. Many species have come back from the brink. Northern elephant seals, cheetahs, golden hamsters. These are all population uh, populations of animals that have recovered from having their senses drop below the double-digit mark. So like the golden hamsters, at one point there was like eight of them. Holy shit. And they completely recovered. Okay. Came back. So the theory is that humans were part of that. Okay. You know, we got down to like a couple thousand humans because there was like a super volcano and, you know, now we have social media and hate each other. Right. So And and we're overrunning the world and destroying it. Exactly. So uh, uh, from the year 2000, there was a molecular biology and evolution paper that suggested the limited variation in human genetics could be derived from this long bottleneck and a human population could have dropped below 2000. They think it's rare, but it's possible we could have dropped below 2000. But more likely, we were closer to 10 to 15,000, and it could have lasted as long as 100,000 years. That the population was that low. Yeah, exactly. Okay, wow, that's crazy. So crazy long bottleneck. And if we look at that, is something like that possible for the Bigfoot or the skunk ape? Could we have a population of 2,000 for 100,000 years? Like, could it drop that low? Well, I guess it depends on what are we, what do we mean when we mean 2,000? Do we mean 2,000 worldwide? Right. Because you have to look at breeding populations, where they're at. How you know, far are they willing to travel to mate? Right. So you know, you're like, not going to have... Um, like 2,000 in Florida. Right. You're not going to have big... You're not going to have the Bigfoot in... Um, Seattle breeding with the ones in Florida and you're not going to have 2000 of them in Florida because we would see that. Right. Exactly. So I guess the question is really like how many Bigfoot do we see before we start realizing they're there? You know, so yeah, we have 17 of these birds on a college campus in Boca Raton, Florida, and we know where every single one of them are. Well, that's on a college campus in Boca Raton. That's not hiding in the swamp in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. So, yeah. so I mean, it's questionable. Like, like what would we find? What would we see? Yeah. You know? So anyways, so, so gi- is that what we were getting to? Like we're, how, we're getting there. Okay. We're almost there. All right. So Gigantopithecus was last seen roaming the earth uh, more than a hundred thousand years ago. And while it technically is possible that a few thousand of these massive orangutans survived for a hundred thousand years, just like humans did before the stone age, it's probably unlikely. Maybe when humans and other animals experienced this bottleneck phenomenon, it was imperative that they clung to each other for safety and kept their breeding partners nearby and planted local breeding populations in the area. Looking back at the burrowing owls, we can see how important it was to keep mates fairly close within 90 miles of each. And if you pull a group out of that, it can fall apart each way, right? A bottleneck population of Sasquatches, how would they survive if the other ones were 90 miles away, 100 miles away, 30 miles away? And then how deep and dark are those woods in reality? Yeah. And I think, I mean, with birds, 90 miles, sure. Right. With ground bipeds, 90 miles? It's a long way. Yeah. 
I don't like driving 90 miles. Yeah. Yeah. When we start looking at, um, you know, the Eastern gorilla, they're in a couple of very constricted parks, not very constricted. You know, they're pretty wide ranging parks in Africa. And we look at their population of 400, 500, you know, gorillas in that area. We know where every single one of them is in this massive park covered right. with bugs that are going to kill you, dudes with guns, horrible living circumstances. But we know where every one of those gorillas right. is. But we don't know where a single skunk ape, Yeti, Sasquatch, or Bigfoot right. is. Right. Like, what's the reality of them being somewhere in the Pacific Northwest or in the Everglades? Right. When we're out there, like, all the time, cane sugar and, like, doing all these different things. Yeah. It, it seems low. It does seem low. So... Even even with a really small population population census, like something like the Amur leopard, which is this very rare kind of sky leopard, um, there's only 60 of them left. And they live in this incredibly scary mountainous region of Russia right on the border of North Korea. And we know where every single one of them are. And there's 60 of them on the entire planet. Yeah, and there's really no reason we would ever want to be anywhere near Russia or North Korea. <laughs> right, so. exactly. But but like National Geographic has a million photos of these things. Yeah. So that's what it comes down to is this question is, um, you know, we know where all these in, endangered species are, even though, you know, they're roaming these distant mountains that are packed full of machine gun wieldy humans and bugs that are going to kill you. Uh, I feel like if there was this sort of like Gigantopithecus in the in the Everglades or the big Cypress or out in the Pacific Northwest, we would definitely have more than like a, a couple, couple of really great Polaroids above of it from the 1990s like cheesing through the palmetto leaves. Exactly. Picture. Exactly. You know, especially nowadays and in, in, you know, beyond what I discussed right here in my book, I go into, uh, there's a guy who was chasing around, um, the Loch Ness monster for years. Yeah. And he basically in uh, the early two thousands when the first iPhone came out. Yeah. He was like, it's all done. There's obviously no Loch Ness monster. He has spent 20 years chasing this thing. Yeah. He's like, it's obviously done because we have, everyone has a phone in their pocket now and there would be a billion photos. Yeah. And so I can rest and be done with this. And I don't feel like there's a Loch Ness monster. Okay. So is your consensus that you feel like Yeti, Skunk Ape, Sasquatch, Bigfoot, not real? Yeah, that's my that's my consensus. I feel like I feel like there was at some point some you know, Gigantopithecus monster out there. Yeah. That our collective conscious remembers. Yeah. And I feel like it was passed down through oral histories and there are native populations that have these stories of gigantic monsters that live in the woods and they use those stories as a way to keep people out of their business. Yeah. And I mean, that, that makes at. way more sense to me. That's what like, I feel like. They had these stories of a thing that existed way in the past, probably gone and uh, they needed a boogeyman. So yeah. they pulled a story 100%. out of the library and blew it up. And you yeah. know, people thought it was great and fascinating and fun. And so they started to see it in the Everglades. They would see them in the woods. Um, but uh, I don't know. They didn't really see anything. They saw a bear. They saw a whatever. Yeah. You know, they saw a dude wearing a giant 
Yeti costume from the creature shop. Yeah. You know, you don't know. And uh, spoiler, if you uh, if you do read my book or reach out and you want to read it, uh, I do dive into to, to the theories around that. Like I did talk to some people down there and like some thoughts about who put on possibly a uh, Yeti costume. Skunk ape costume. Yeah. yeah. They yeah. staged it or whatever. Yeah, it's fully possible. It's yeah. very possible. Yeah. yeah. A more possible than the idea that this thing is actually out there. Yeah. Like a, a, a thing that went extinct 100,000 years ago. You know, we would have to have evidence somewhere. Yeah. You know, so yeah, that's my theory. I'm sticking to it. Okay. That's Sick. fair. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for joining us again. We ranted so long this time. So episodes extra long. Enjoy. Thank you for sticking in there. This is a great story. Check out Jake's book. It's on Amazon. You can get it for a whole 99 cents. Or if you don't want to pay that, reach out to him. Email me for free. We'll put yeah. a link up. Um, yeah. We appreciate it, guys. And we will see you next time. Talk to you soon. joining us for this episode of Brew Luminati. Our intro and outro music is written by Dungeness. Want to learn more about the topics we cover and who we are? Join us on Facebook and Instagram at Brew Luminati Podcast for behind the scenes content and updates. Do you have mystical powers of insight or just questions, suggestions, and feedback? Reach out to us at thebrewluminati at gmail.com. Are you ready to immerse yourself into the inner circle? Visit patreon.com slash podcast. For the same price as a cup of coffee or sandwich you won't remember, you know, because of mind control, you can join the Brewluminati and lift the veil on the true mysteries of the universe. Your membership to the Conclave unlocks access to our secret Discord server, bonus Patreon-only content, behind-the-scenes talks, and much more. Every dollar spent not only helps us reveal the truths of the world, but also frees us to make the show better, weirder, and allows us to go deeper and deeper into the void while funding our next beer run. When we're not talking conspiracies and beer, we're passionate about saving the forgotten puppies and kitties of the world. 10% of every dollar you donate goes directly to the Best Friend Pet Adoption Agency. They are a local 501c3 all-breed, all-foster cat and dog rescue that will save the life of a pet who never had a chance. Keep an eye out because we'll be posting pictures of the lives our listeners save. For more information on Best Friend Pet Adoption, head over to bfpa.org. Join us again next week for another episode of Brew Luminati. We know you will, because again, mind control is real. Mm-hmm.